let's roll it back one more time. We are going to go across the Spider-Verse and dig into what makes the 90s so dark and broody as we talk about Ben Riley's Spider-Man. Uh, and we're going to get into the latest adventures, of course, for Miles and Gwen and everybody else in the, the biggest movie in the world right now, uh, Across the Spider-Verse, which I'm thrilled to do with y'all. But before we do all that, we have some other stuff that we're going to talk about that, you know, you, you can listen to, or if you're not here live, you can see it. Whichever. Uh, I'm, of course, Sparks Witty. It is episode 330, and I'm joined by Ryan Eliopoulos. Hello, hi. I'm buzzing with spider love today. And Ben Magnet. I was trying to think of a Legend of Zelda pun to throw in with Spider-Man, but can't think of it. Sorry. Mm, mm. I'm sure we'll talk plenty about Zelda in the near future, uh, like mere 10 minutes from now. Brandon. Yeah. Brandon thwip. T. McClure. Sorry. Thwip, thwip. Thwip, thwip, indeed. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm just going to toss it to you, Brandon. You can go ahead and take us in. Yeah. Hi, guys. How's it going? I uh, hope you guys had a good week. We are back with another episode is it any surprise at this point? Not for Let's me. Talk- I see it on the schedule. It's Let's almost like it's been seven years. Let's talk about some links. Uh, we do have some oh, links. Oh, you mean this one? Oh, yeah. you did it. You did it. <laughs> Audio listeners, I'm holding up my special 30th anniversary um, Link Amiibo. The, the what do you get result. with it? What do you get in the um, game? You know, I got some meat in a treasure chest, but I haven't like been doing the amiibos every day, so I should probably do that next time I I play. Every day, you I saw you do it every day. I saw one video, but is it true that you can kill all your islanders in Animal Crossing and turn them into meat in Tears of the Kingdom? That's not real, but it is by a, using their amiibo. It cards? is a real video, but it's not what actually happens. He oh, okay. he just made an island. Ben, you need to find that video on TikTok. It's every I time do. he puts an amiibo on. Uh, he does like a bunch of them, and then he goes to his island. And he recreated a graveyard for his entire <laughs> island. It's really funny, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I was worth those five I didn't, I didn't dig into <laughs> it, and I was like, "That doesn't feel like that's that true, but it is funny." The type of like synergy that Nintendo simply does not have with each other, but that is, uh, it's just a really great video. Well, um, Animal Crossing amiibos do give you meat. Yes. Mm, yeah. Dark. It, dark. It's uh, most. Yeah, it is really funny, and like the <laughs> the Zelda Wolf amiibo for uh, Twilight Princess also gives you a bunch of meat, and I'm like. What are you doing, Nintendo? What's yeah. going on? You mean this one? Yeah. You know, you're you know. a bunch of steaks. No, I did because last time when I played Breath of the Wild, get, you had to like keep tapping the amiibo so you could get the, the armor from Twilight Princess. But apparently all the armor from Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and I want to say um, the original Legend of Zelda, they're in the game already. You just have to go find them. And they're yeah. hard as shit to find. Yeah. You can you can get them through chance with amiibos, or you can just play the game. That's what's kind of nice is like they don't they're not limiting it to you have to spend money yeah. on amiibos. Yeah. It's just like hey, it's kind of like a like a like a, a little cheat. Yeah, especially since this one particularly is like my wolf amiibo is like maybe 30, 40 bucks loose. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, yeah, we do have some links. Uh, obviously, the writer strike, the writer's Guild of America link, um, the strike info is there. Uh, we're surprise, surprise, we're gonna be talking a little bit about it again today. So um sparks put up a couple of cinephiles for us those are linked below if anyone wants to check those out including our spider-man into the spider-verse review uh which we had originally reviewed when the movie came out with our friend the key thief jen lindstrom mm-hmm. um oh so long ago it was a long time ago um and and that so the so there was no video component to that but so it's an audio video that you can that you can watch and or listen to or whatever it is still on the Fictor podcast feed for those of you interested in just kind of re-downloading it and be like, oh, I wonder what they thought of that. But yeah. for YouTube watchers, it's there. 
Yeah, Brandon and I went back and forth about this because generally when we do the cinephiles, part of the point is extracting it from the podcast so that you can just listen to the review. Spider-Verse was a review special when we initially did it, so there is nothing to extract it from. So in the audio feed, it remains back in 2018 where it was. But for YouTube, we put up a video version. Amen. Sometimes yeah. different audiences. Um, then the Indiana Jones uh, discussion uh, has has wrapped up. We, you know, we wrapped it up a couple of weeks ago, but now it's available as a cinephiles for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Um, so you can check those out linked below. Audio and video. Whoop, whoop. Audio and video, yes. Um, then the so last week we had a little bit of a mini basement arcade pause menu that has been extracted from that episode and put on the basement arcade pause menu audio and video feed for those of you interested in checking that out. Uh, that is linked below as well. My rule is if we cross forty minutes, it goes as its own thing. Here's the thing, y'all. Like I. I thought we were going to talk about this for a short thing, and I saw on YouTube it was 51 minutes. I'm like, what? That's like <laughs> good conversation, just flies by. Like that yeah, was, it does. I can't believe it was that long. That's that's the that's this episode. That's this podcast. It's just this time just flies by. It's true. Um. Then, Ben. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the end dark now or after me? Uh, after. All right, so I got a conversation episode out this week. Uh, my conversation episode is with Cookie from Just a Little Podcast, who is unfortunately at this moment in time no longer podcasting. Um, importantly, this is the last. This is the last interview I I I, I did before um, twenty twenty three. So like this, is, I did four interviews in twenty twenty two, and then the rest in twenty twenty three. This is the last one from twenty twenty two, so the rest will be a little bit more up to date, a little bit more relevant. Um, but Cookie is a great guy. You know, we all love Cookie. Um, he's wonderful. And um, he stepped away from podcasting because uh, he's having a, a child. Congratulations once again. And I got a chance to sit down with him and just talk about his fandom journey and, you know, what he thinks about the kind of new generation coming up, what he thinks about... Um, it's just an interesting discussion, I think, about Harry Potter um, that we have. Um, yeah. Check it out. I don't want to give the. I don't want to give it all away. But yeah, it's a fun episode. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, check it out. Sleep below. It's a solid episode. Cookie's great. He shared it in the because uh, I'm still in the, the downright annoyed like group because like, like I used to be part of a, a a group thing that no longer exists. They mentioned but... it in the episode. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm gonna listen to it when I work next, which is on Tuesday. So there you go. Um. Uh. But Cookie posted like, "Hey, here's my conversation." I'm like, I I said, "Screw that baby. Cookie's back." And they got a little giggle. I will say, Ben, have you listened to it yet? Not yet, but I will. Well, I'm going to drag Brandon just for a second Do because it. It. Um, I thought it was very funny. I told him that it was a joke when I called him out on it. But so he goes out of his way in his intro to specify that he's like, at the time of recording, I said fiance and girlfriend, but Ben's now got a fiance. So I'm correcting that here. But he didn't correct the fact that he still said fiance for me and now is my wife. <laughs> Which I think is so funny that he zeroed in on being like, I gotta I gotta cover the fact that Ben now has a fiance, not a girlfriend. And I'm like, I, I have a wife. I got married. You were there. <laughs> not the same. Um yeah, that that that's what I get for for writing that episode at two in the morning. Um, <laughs> um oh, th there's a I couple of bud. There's a couple of fun, uh, fun bits that oh, that no, intro you... ended up being, uh, because uh, because it was um, it was so late that I, you know, after a while my fingers just kept typing and I was not at the wheel anymore. Yeah, we were it saying was just funny to me because I was like, it's something you didn't even have to do, and then the way you did it, I was like, wait. <laughs> uh, all right, Ben, talk about Dan Dark episode twenty nine. Yeah, I yeah. 
You know, I'm even a part of the show. I don't even know what episode we're on, to be honest, because I just see, hey, new episode's up. I listen to it, and then I just re-listen to all the shenanigans we went to with all the added special effects that Dan throws in. This is... 29, yes. Up, 29, yeah. And this is the episode where myself, Victor Frankenstein, and everyone else were going through the dungeon to get some parts for Gore, the brain in the jar. And um, Gore's not really on the up and up, if you know what I mean. So... uh, The brain... I know, right? A gi- you just can't trust giant floating brains in jars anymore. Um, when could you? I, I don't know. <laughs> actually, that actually, that raises a really good point. When could you trust a giant floating brain in a jar? I have no freaking idea. But yeah. I mean, uh, that's Sarah Jessica. Isn't that? Oh, no, actually, that's her. She's attached to a tool. <laughs> it's different. Sorry. I was talking about the aliens themselves. Oh, yeah, but well, they're not good. You can't trust them. No, <laughs> they're different. <laughs> sure they brazzy you but yeah but yeah um we go through uh we go through the dungeon and more shenanigans of course are abound definitely give it a listen it's a good time all right so all those links are down below in various audio and video formats you can brian sorry i just want to say uh it's probably the last uh, the the hardest i've laughed at work recently ben is mm-hmm. is hearing uh victor talk about uh talking about your fat ass but it's his fault because he made it that way <laughs> and i'm just like <laughs> what a really funny thing and i just like laughed at work and i'm like i it's too far out of it. i can't do this <laughs> i i i particularly liked uh <laughs> when they're like emotep's trying to get phantom to dig through the pile of trash and he's like i put my hand on my gun <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love I mean now that these episodes are coming out and the whole writer's strike is happening when he's telling his unseen servants to do it and who un- and his unseen servants are now unionized and every time Phantom casts that spell he has to like fill out union paperwork it's just yeah. the funniest shit it's a good gag yeah even when we were like trying to hold hands so we can like lessen the psychic blast from gore and then Victor is all like why doesn't anyone want to hold my hand <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a good show, Ben. Thank you. I love doing uh, the show. Okay. That's all the links below. Be sure to check them out, please. Uh, who wants to go first with their week? I'll go first because guess what? I only have one thing to talk about. It rhymes with... It's the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. What else can I... What What else can I say? I mean, I, I've been talking about this game for weeks. Ryan has been talking about this game for weeks. How many hours? Do you know how many hours you're in? I haven't looked. Um, I was... I was definitely up because outside or inside baseball last night we recorded um uh, a base barricade for ko city because this was the last weekend that it was the servers were up and running the servers are gonna go down in like a few days and after we were done playing that not 20 minutes later i went to go play tears of the kingdom and next thing i realized i'm playing tears of the kingdom i'm doing all this stuff and then i hear birds chirping outside and then when Fanny know. comes home from work and she's like, hey, how late were you up playing Tears of the Kingdom last night? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. She's like, were the birds chirping? I'm like, maybe. Because it, it gets you right back in the thing. There's still there's so much to explore. And mostly I've been exploring Hyrule, like the base Hyrule map again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's like I'm back home. Mm-hmm. Like way back in 2017, when I first played Breath of the Wild, I was like, man, I'm exploring all this again for the, even though it's not for the first time. It's just like, oh yeah, I remember this bit. Oh yeah, I remember going over here. And I also remember how much I hated the Hebra Mountains because I hate climbing the mountains. They suck. 
but just explore but then there's more stuff to explore all the different caves to explore like even i, I was exploring a cave i was like oh i could explore a cave it shouldn't take five minutes 15 minutes later i the, it, the notification pops up from brandon i'm like oh shit i gotta go mm-hmm. yeah it's a um it's one of those games where like you think you're gonna play for a little bit and then like you blink and it's it's considerably more hours later and you're like that's yeah. that's just really it's- impressive it's just continuing to be the best just one more thing game. Just like Breath of the Wild. Like, oh, I'll just do one more shrine. Oh, I'll go and open up the next tower. Oh, I'll go, I'll just fill out this next part of the map. Oh, hey, I'll do this next side quest. Ah, that side quest was quick. I'll do another side quest. Because sometimes you fulfill side quests by just having a lot of resources on you. You talk mm-hmm. to a random NPC, and then they're like, oh, hey, you actually have all the things we need. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was easy. I'll just do another one then. Yep. And it's, it's just one more after one more after one more after one more. And even your the progression of the game, because while the progression of the game, it's not like traditional RPGs where you just kill a bunch of enemies, gain XP, and then your stats go up. Just the fact that even though I'm still, I would still argue I'm very early in the game. I only did one main dungeon and my map isn't completely filled out yet. Just the fact that I'm still, I'm progressing as far as I am with how many heart containers I have, stamina wheel with like, I have like a full and a quarter and three quarters of a stamina wheel. I'm just like sitting here going, wow, I am still so much stronger than I was when I first started playing because I was exploring. I was being careful with the monsters. I was doing every single shrine I could, I could easily get to. Mm. And it's just, it's just fantastic. I mean, I love this game. What, what else can I say about it? I mean, one of my best friends texted me uh, the other night and he was like, so how's Tears of Kingdom? I'm like, dude, it's 10 out of 10 game of the year. I don't know any other game that could possibly top this. It's true, everyone. It's really it's really cool because uh, uh, my roommate is also playing it. So like just every day we're just like trading like little tips and secrets. and like, oh, this is what I found. Like, oh, where's that? How do you do this? And it's like, uh, actually, there's a great video. I think it's, uh, I think GameSpot put it out on YouTube, but it's basically them uh, talking about how this is like, much like Elden Ring, even though that game is multiplayer, uh, this yeah. game really is like the the most multiplayer single player game ever made because of the, the community that's coming around it. Oh, and yeah. it's not it's not like it's not like narrative games where everyone experiences the exact same thing. Like everybody can do every puzzle in a different way, and it's so fun to hear different people's stories. Um, it's just it's like it's just so uh, it's just so fulfilling as a video game. Yeah. Not only that, I also love like. Like you said, this game is like the most multiplayer, single player game. I'm on TikTok. I've, I've been bombarded with Tears of Kingdom videos. I mean, of course, you oh, got yeah. the funny ones where like you have um, people building these essentially these be these giant bomber planes and just wrecking a bunch of bokoblins with fortune sub playing in the background. But also they tell you, it's like, hey, if you want a certain armor set, this is where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Good luck. But this is where you need to go. So. And the, and the thing about that is that the game is just so massive. It's just so big. You forget. Like, even though I've seen, like, three different videos on how where to get the Ocarina of Time armor, I couldn't tell you where to go. I have no idea where it is. I know I've seen it. I know it's in the game. I don't know where to go. The and great thing it, uh, about the depths is, like, because, you know, you have main Hyrule, you have Sky Temples, and you have the depths, which is an entire a dark version of the above world. So, like, it's just as big, but it's entirely in the dark until you light it up. So, like, yeah. you might know where to go, but you cannot see it until you actually go there. Like, it is still, like, you can, you can have the map right in front of you. Or, like, I cannot, without glow, like, if you can't, like, without lanterns or whatever, like, it is pitch black down there. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, ter- it's scarier than Elden Ring at times. And this is, like, a, you know, like, a PG Zelda game. Like, it's, Dude. Ben, have you, have you encountered the Gloom Hands yet? Oh, hell yeah, I have. Dude, I've the first time Gloom that happened Hands, to me, I... like, 
oh my god like i almost shit my pants i'm not even joking it was the music changes and like you cannot run from them you cannot fight them at first it's just like it is like this is your death and you just got to take it and like i don't like it i found a shrine in a cave and when i got up to the shrine the gloom hands popped up and i'm like this is creepy so i I, luckily i had a bunch of bomb flowers so i blew them up i'm like okay cool they're dead now yay phantom ganon shows up Oh, no, I'm glad I ran or died. No, I died. Yeah, I'm glad I died. That's fine. I don't um, I, I threw myself against the wall. I Elden ringed it. I was like, I'm going to try and beat. I did beat him. I beat a Phantom Ganon. But now every time I see a bunch of Gloomhams, I run the F away. Yeah. Um, even when I went up to try to, I was going up to one of the big mountains, Mount Laneru, the one with the um, the Spring of Wisdom. Have you been mm-hmm. there yet, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've been, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's Gloomhams when you're walking up the mountain. Just random gloom has pop up, and I'm like, ah, I don't have anything to fight you. So I just run away. It's terrifying because I don't know if every time you kill the gloom hands, Phantom Ganon shows up. And I'm just sitting there going, I cannot wait till I have a way to fight these mother effers and just wreck their shit. Yeah. It is going to feel so satisfying when I do. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, but like, uh, I'm like 85 hours in now. Uh, and like, seeing from where, where I started and where I am now. Um, like I feel powerful and like, I can still get my ass kicked. Cause like, you know, there are still always going to be harder enemies, but like, uh, uh, I just feel like I have so many cool different armor sets. And like, what's cool about like this game, it's like, oh, this is the armor. Cause there's, there's different regions and like some places are really cold. So like you will, you will uh, lose health if you don't have like proper armor, same with, uh, like a fire region, right? It's too hot. So you have to cool yourself down. So like, you have to find that armor or you have to take, uh, you have to drink things. You have to like, you have to like survive this is like a survival game like breath of the wild kind of was like it but this is so much more especially mm-hmm. with like the, the building components it's like it's like it's one of the most interesting games ever made because it's you can ignore all that you can oh, all yeah. the zonai all the building you can ignore all that and just play a like traditional video game if you want and it works that way i mean you, you can, can help the- put as much into it as you want and it will still be as satisfying there was definitely a part where I found a Korok, the one with the backpack, where he was like, I need to reach my friend. And I just saw where his friend was. And I'm like, I don't want to build. So I just grabbed him and I walked him. Oh, I've done that a it, couple times. Yeah. It was it was annoying. But there was another time where I saw these, you know, it was like some planks, a controller. Thank God for that controller. The where you get to like move steer your vehicles left and right. And there was also um, the big wheelies one. And that was like the time where I I stuck a Korok onto essentially a makeshift monster truck. I did that I literally drove, today, Ben. Like <laughs> and exactly. I, drove, I drove him up the mountain, and the whole time I'm driving, I'm like, "This is." So, I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, "This is." God, I love video games, man. Yeah. Uh, well, at at this point in the game, like I've because uh, there's a lot of the the zone I dispensers, like where you get a lot of the components to build things in the sky, and I've at this point been to almost all of the, the places you can get them. So I have almost everything you need to build whatever you want at times so like anytime I, I find one of the little hudson construction zones that has like free wheels and free little like components to build stuff i'm always like why not i have like 40 fans and like 40 wheels that are just sitting in my inventory like why not just use them i'm like i'm not gonna run out of them because i can literally teleport to one if i need more shit like it's just it's so rewarding and like in the in the same way but in the exact opposite way of elden ring like you can teleport mid-fight Anytime you don't want to be anywhere, you can just get out of there at any time. And it is so just like freeing. I'm like, hey man, you don't want to deal with that? Don't worry about it. And I'm like, that's really nice. And like, it is yeah. like the most like vibes, like just so, 
it's such so beautiful and just like yeah like i could talk about it forever me too me too i mean you and i are definitely gonna be doing a basement arcade special later this year probably after both of us beat the game just gushing about tears of the kingdom yeah it might be our game of the year discussion but because uh, i'm still very early in the game i got i have a few of the dragon tears taken care of I just even love that. Like when you're in the Skylands, you look down, you see this giant drawing on the ground. And I'm like, oh, sweet. And even if it's in a region I haven't unlocked yet, I just fly to it, get the tier, and I just warp back to where I was. It's just so. Have you landed versatile. on a dragon yet? Uh, you mean the Gleox? I've seen them. No, no, no. I... The, the the giant flying dragon. Oh giant... yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I had to uh to do a side quest for one of the for the mother goddess statue. I had to I had to stick this, right? out. Yeah, I had to stake out for the for the ice dragon, and I had to shoot the claw off. Thankfully, yeah. I got it. And of course, the dragon was going into the depths over by Kakariko Village. And when I shot the claw, the claw ended up in the freaking gloom. So I'm like, oh, okay. I float down, landed in the gloom, grabbed the claw, and teleported the f out. And the game's just like, no problem, bro. We don't mind at all. Nope. It there is nope. There is no penalty. There is no penalty for doing stuff like that. And even when you do die, there's really no penalty for it. It's just like try again. Yeah. yeah. And the and the 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 quick save system is is pretty good. Anytime oh, yeah. I die, like I'm never I'm never too far. Or like oh, if no. I lose an encounter, I never feel like oh like this is impossible to get back to. It's yeah. like it's usually right there. Yeah. Every every time you like go into like a new area, it constantly says save or it's freaking. I love this game. It's a great. It's a great video game. Oh yeah, and that, that's all I did this week. I just wanted to play Breath, Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. That's all I wanted to do. Breath of the Wild too. All right, who else? Who next? You want to continue on because you've been doing. Tears of the I, I don't want to talk. I do I, not the Tears of the Kingdom. I don't want to talk anymore though. But I'll. But I'll okay, no, I yeah. can go. Uh, it's not going to be long though. Okay, um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, I I rewatched Into the Spider Verse because you know, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> would you believe it? It's still an incredible film. Sure. Who I have nothing new to say about that it's Listen just to an our incredible film right review now on youtube <clears throat> i'd probably be a little more thoughtful than i was like fresh in the moment if i got into it but like it's just a great film um and then i did the customary d and dark listening for the week and then uh i i don't know where my free time goes uh, i know i work on the podcast outside of this but like i don't i don't have a lot else to report you played knockout city a bunch yes that's true i mean ben alluded to that earlier like yeah. uh you know but that'll come out like Knockout City, yes, absolutely. Um, great time. We had a bunch of friends this weekend, um, and that was a ton of fun. It was yeah. that was a real blast. Just playing video games with friends was nice. And let nice. alone let alone doing some Chaos City before it's over. Uh, the only other thing I, I'll kind of touch on is that you know I I I gave notice that I'm quitting my job. <laughs> that was really cool, right. and right. I love it. And I don't do it to like completely like gloat about or anything because good lord knows i want ben to quit his job but um, and lord knows after the shit that they pulled this week i am dying to quit. ben ben like my job has not been as difficult as yours and like the breath of fresh air i felt when i knew it was ending mm -hmm. i can't even like i've been on like cloud nine for a week Bro, uh, after I, I signed the paperwork where like i uh, for the place i'm going to instead like i was like oh my god I feel free. <laughs> I feel like the sun is coming out for the first time in so long. <laughs> Sparks, I do. When I say this, this is not hyperbole. I literally do this every day at work. But I, every time I go there, and I'm doing my thing. I fantasize 
about putting in my resignation or I go to a place where I've been where I've been applying, I've been just trying, like say I get the the dream job or a air quotes dream job where yeah. a place where I can actually have a career. I, I always imagine myself saying like, after they like, they say, yes, we're hiring you on this. Like, we're going to hire you. Here's the paperwork. I sign the paperwork. I get in the car to go home. I imagine myself crying, knowing that I quit. I can quit my current job. Yeah. I imagine myself giving great clapbacks to certain supervisors at my job on like, oh, why are you doing this? And just essentially giving great one-liners of dropping the mic of the metaphorical mic, because if they're going to treat me with disrespect, they don't deserve any respect from me. And I am so glad that you are in a place that you are happy. And I am, and I hope and pray that sooner rather than later, I can say the exact same thing, brother. My, my point in saying that Ben was like, I can't even, I can't even imagine how good you're going to feel when you can do it. And I, I believe it's around the corner. I really want to believe that because I feel this good. You're going to feel incredible. Uh, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, we all should be able to experience such joy. I mean, I currently have no job, so we'll see. Yeah, but you want you want the joy. It's not about the the leaving. It's about it's about telling a job you hate. I'm out. Mm. Uh, you everybody deserves that satisfaction of of telling a job that they hate if they've had to work a job they hate. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm happy for you, really. I am too. It's gonna be it's gonna be great for for everybody. Uh, but most importantly, family. you. It already is. It already is. Uh, you're like right. taking off the the training it's, armor. I, I, yeah. I, you're not wrong. <laughs> it felt exactly you're like that. Like, oh, like, so... the weight in clothing. I forgot I could live like yeah. this. Right. Yes. So all I did besides Zelda was uh, this weekend because uh, uh, across the Spider Verse, just every time uh, like a, a big uh, comic book movie comes out, especially if it's good, uh, it gets me to read comic books because. Uh, I, I love comic books. I love reading comic books. So I read a bunch of Spider-Man, and I'm going to start from all the good stuff and then to the uh, the really bad comic that also came out this week. So one second, I'm going to have some fun because mm. my mouth is dry. <laughs> Okie dokie. We're going to start with Spider-Man 2099. Uh, I don't have the full uh, creative team, but I know Steve Orlando did that. Um, this was a fun little, like, um, a bunch of uh, one-shots and miniseries in a 2099 universe, but I focus on the Sp Spider-Man 2099 one because he's, he's Miguel O'Hara, and he's in the movie we just watched. Um... Uh, it's funny because that's barely a Spider-Man book. That's really just a stealth, like, 2099 book. Miguel is there, but it's really just, like, every issue. All the covers are, like, introducing Black Widow 2099 and Crossbone 2099. And all that stuff was really fun. Uh, and it was a really fun series. Uh, I just wanted more Miguel because that's what I thought I was getting. Because I, I only wanted to read one 2099 book because I wanted to expand all the different books I'm reading. And I just, uh, I didn't choose a bad book. I just chose the wrong, not-centric Miguel book. But it's a it's a good time. The, the X-Men of 2099 show up. They're they're radical and really weird. There's a guy named Bloodhawk. He's he's stupid. Um next I read was Spider Punk. Uh uh, uh Hobie Williams. I thought it was Hobby my entire life. And now I know it's Hobie because it's short for Hobert, which was in the comic I read. So his name's Hobert. That's why I know that. Um that book is radical, guys. That is awesome. It's an alternate universe where basically like everybody is into music in some capacity, whether either you musician or not, everybody uses music in some weird way. Um, uh, it's a cool reveal in the last issue that like Ironheart has been part of the team, Riri Williams, but she's not a musician. And uh, to defeat the villain, uh, uh, 
you guys know spider bum he has a cool guitar that he uses uh he's like he's gonna do his cool his cool amplified wave attack he's like i don't have any i don't have a power source and she just yells i'm the mother effing power source and she plugs the guitar into herself and creates a giant amp and i'm like yo that's metal it's a really ben you should probably read it because it's like pretty it's pretty like like metal centric it's really cool uh and it being spider punk like it is very like anarchist like f this f the man f the system kind of shit like it's really cool uh not as extreme as the movie we watched like i thought it was gonna be like he's straight up just everything he says is like yo this guy's hardcore uh it's a little toned down but it's still really cool and fun um i read a one shot called spider-man devil's reign and that's where ben riley is spider-man in the modern era because we read a flashback story this week but i wanted more ben riley and this is during the spider-man beyond era which was only like a year and a half ago where Ben Riley was the main Spider-Man. He was sponsored by the Beyond Corporation. He was like the sponsored government Spider-Man, basically. Um, and this is him during the Devil's Reign arc where uh, Kingpin is the mayor and like he hates superheroes and all that stuff. So um, in this in this one shot, he fights Kingpin Jr. Uh, his name's The Rose. Uh, it's Kingpin's son. He he kind of looks like, like Baron Zemo. He's like a nice like cool purple outfit. But he wears sunglasses. And he's called The Rose. And he's like, I'm going to be the next Kingpin of crime. But he really sucks. Like he's a cool, he's like, he's a good character, but like he sucks as a bad guy. So Ben Riley's just like, you're like, you're, you're so weak. You're not, you're nothing like your dad. Uh, so that was a really cool one shot of Ben just getting to be Spider-Man for, you know, the six months he got to be Spider-Man uh, last year. Um, and then finally, I'm going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man by Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr. Uh, that issue came out this week, issue 26, and I was a couple issues behind, so I so I caught up. And I've said before, um, I, I quite enjoyed this run. Up until uh, the last couple issues when I'd really started to lean heavy into what the inevitability of what the story was going to be, I was enjoying it. I thought it was a really fun story um, uh, about the villain specifically. I thought his tombstone and his vulture stuff was really great. Like, he has a, he just, Zeb Wells is a great character writer. Like, you guys read Hellions, even though that's really... The only Zeb Wells thing you wrote, like, or, or uh, read, you you get the tone of the kind of guy, like, he's great. He's awesome. He blends drama and comedy really well, and I thought this book was really good. Once we started veering into why they're going to kill Kamala Khan, uh, the book becomes, like, really cosmic and really dumb. And the whole reason, issue one starts with, six months later, Peter did something really bad and everyone hates him. His relationship with Mary Jane is destroyed, right? Well, now we know why. Um, this bad guy, he trapped Mary Jane and this guy named Paul in another dimension, and Spider-Man couldn't stop that, right? Um, so Spider-Man steals something from the Fantastic Four to help get them back, right? He couldn't just ask them, as you would as a friend. He has to steal it because it's dramatic, uh, uh, and he has to do it now, so there's no time to talk about it, uh, to save them. Uh, but Mary Jane has been gone, not for like six hours, like Peter thought. She's been gone for four years because it's another dimension. So those four years, uh, she fell in love with Paul. Uh, she adopted some kids that the villain killed their parents of. So like she has created this family. And in terms of that being a story component, I actually really like, uh, because I, I love MJ and Peter, but like this, this arc, this story that Zeb Wells was telling is not about them falling in love, right? It, it, sometimes Peter doesn't need to be with that person. I know that's a big stickler for Spider-Man fans, but like I'm rolling with the flow of this story, right? I'm cool with it. I thought it was a pretty cool idea. The villain itself, he's awful. And the thing about like, oh, I need to sacrifice someone to become a god, uh, all ends up just for Kamala Khan to get killed. And she's barely, she's not even in issue 25, the oversized 25th issue. She's not in it whatsoever. That's all about Mary Jane and Paul. The next issue is where she dies in issue 26. And it is, it's just like, it's just like nonsense. And it is a really generic and like the villain dies and like, and, and Kamala dies. And it's just like, I, I, it feels like such like a left turn where I'm like, I just cannot believe this was all Zeb Wells' idea. 
because spy the spider-man office is notorious for being to inter with interfering with their stories for decades at this point they won't let peter just be happy or, or anybody else for that matter um they'd rather kill people and make him suffer more than to just let him be happy with the kid um uh it's just it's awful it was a really issue 26 is really bad and i was really enjoying this run for the most part um so like i'm glad i read a, good, a bunch of good spider-man comics but man uh especially after seeing across the spider-verse i'm just like why isn't Miles just the Spider-Man? Right. Why isn't he just being a dad? Like, like I was talking to Sparks, like, like uh, uh, Clark over at DC, Clark has a kid and he has a wife. You know, Batman, like, he has a kid who's been growing up. He started young, now he's like 17. Like, everybody's getting to grow up. Like, Aquaman's got kids, he's married. Like, why, why does Peter have to be the stagnant one? Why does he just always have to suffer? And that's why, again, Across the Spider-Verse, is incredible because it's like, yeah, why? Why we'll is this it. yeah. stupid? Uh, yeah. It's just like, it was such an insane week for Sp for being a spider-man fan because i read the polar opposite of what are good and bad about the character uh and i'm just like man i uh, spider-man's great Spider-Man's really great except for uh when they use him to fridge uh, uh women of color <laughs> on that on that note uh having seen like the pages out on twitter this week um i was yeah you guys know this uh ben might not but like i was just struck by i'm like how is this exactly framed like the ending of the flash season three literally with the stab from behind yeah. through the chest yeah. of the female character and then no 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 it's someone else who's visually pretending to be the the loved one uh and oh what a noble sacrifice but the difference is like in the flash like that sacrifice was built up to and a big deal um and uh i'm not i don't read every kamala khan comic that comes out but uh, uh, a more astute fan realized that Kamala Khan's shape-shifting powers, that's not a power she's used since her inception. When she was so uncomfortable in her own skin, she became Carol Danvers. Right. So, like, that is not something she's done since her inception, and that was something she did out of fear of being herself. People... So the fact that she, like, she simply... Again, I, like, I... It makes me bummed out about Zeb Wells because, like, she's been here since the beginning in small amounts, but, like, she was only here for her shape-shifting power Which so she can become Mary Jane. Since her beginning yeah and not even for a good reason it's because again she was self-conscious about herself people have also pointed out that she survived a, a gunshot that was very similarly placed in her body yeah. previously yeah she uh, she has again depending on the run like this should not have killed her yeah based uh, on her powers she has not not like superhuman uh, uh healing ability but she does have a better than normal healing ability yeah. whether like depends on the writer like how strong that is but she definitely this is a stab in the stomach is nothing in these days right like I mean, just we awful. just saw Obi-Wan where people get stabbed in the stomach all the time. <laughs> I was gonna say, but literally I was thinking of like two people got stabbed in that show. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really unfortunate. And like, I'm just, Ryan, uh, I, I but Ryan still, though, yeah, there's no other shapeshifters in Marvel comics. They couldn't have used anyone else. Right. It's no, it's true. She, she's the only one, the absolute only one. Um, God, it's just, I'm just, I just need that, like, I'm so... Or just uh, come up with a different story beat that's not copying the Flash season three finale. Yeah. Whether that was intentional or not, like... I don't, I think it was just... I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's, like, not a, a, a purposeful yeah. doing of it, but I'm like, boy, Nick, this is the, very lines. similar. Was the editor Nick Lowe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Lowe just walks into Zebwell's office and just like, hey, I just watched the Flash season three. Would it shock me that Nick Lowe was pushing this this specific like framing idea yeah. because of the Flash season three? No. And after after reading this, again, the marketing for months now has been this is the most shocking thing to happen to Spider-Man in 50 years. And the 50 years ago was when Gwen Stacy died. So like I think it the was, most I think the most shocking thing to happen to Spider-Man still up to this moment 
is when Doc Ock took over his body. Yeah, and that's and that story is awesome. Nobody predicted that. Yeah, nobody. Uh, dude, I was, I was, dude. I've been thinking about Spider Man so much. Uh, like, I that is when I jumped onto that book. It's issues like issue seven hundred is when it's in that, like it was like Doc Ock as Spider Man. But issue six ninety nine, Doc Ock is dying on his deathbed, and Peter walks in. And Doc Ock can barely breathe. And he's like, I, I am pup, pup, pup. And he's going to say, I am Peter Parker because he did a brain swap. And Doc Ock dies on the table. So people did, people were going into this new comic thinking Peter Parker died. And now Doc Ock is just Spider-Man. Yeah. And that wasn't it because Spider-Man actually turned out to be a ghost. And he's like, he he possessed him sometimes because Marvel wouldn't let that actually happen. Dan Slott wanted to just kill Peter Parker. And that is super bold. Uh, but Marvel's like, you cannot do that. But we will let you roll with the idea. And that's comic still rules. Um. <laughs> That's why they're bringing it back because they're they're out of ideas. We've got a lot of Spider-Man news to talk about a little. Oh yeah, what a week! Yeah, that's yeah. There's a lot of Spider-Man. But you're right. Like everything about this has been so mishandled, and I do think like there's an amount of a we we shared around like the the article of of people talking about um from the perspective of women of color talking about what this means, and that this is very much um. I'm going to find the title and the author in a second when I pass over to Bram just so I can mention it. But yeah. um, this is very much a in a community of comics where they constantly feel like they're not welcome. Yeah. This is actively saying, like, why should I continue to support a place that doesn't want me to be here? It was it's a, and like and like sad. it's really it's it's it really broke my heart reading it because yeah. it's very much like we keep trying and like you won't let us regardless of like best intentions or whatever um when things like this happen it really shows how how much like we in their minds don't mean anything and from their yeah. from their perspective and i'm like i i think that's completely true and i think that's really awful because like kamala feels like such an afterthought here with with no care for her long history no care for her stories nobody cared as ryan pointed out about her previous abilities what what her arc had been up to this point her involvement in the story is uh merely to serve as a purpose of a footnote in what peter's doing um it's so gross and it's so awful that we're still here in 2023 and i do think it's kind of going to be like a this this particular one is gonna be looked back on as like this very like very very shallow very dark decision in comics history yep. that like you will lose readers over this and i and they might not come back ever or for a very long time and i the industry will have to change i think the next one like this is only going to get it's the next one like this might not even be as bad but it will get even more backlash because this one happened yeah and i think that the the kind of the way that they handled death and especially like the passing of non-white male heroes in comics is going to get a really stern eye on it from here forward. The thing that like that really gets me is that is that Nick Lowe on Twitter, the editor, uh, has been on Twitter being like, y'all just wait till you read this comic. You're going to change your minds. This is a great comic. And y'all, it is a totally substandard issue of a comic where a character dies. Like if this, if this were like another side character, like one of just Peter's friends who like got mistaken for MJ because MJ was supposed to be the sacrifice and then Kamala turns into MJ, right? Like it could be, it would be a fine comic. Like, oh no, this character died. That's But you kill off a really important character for no reason that's barely in your book, who doesn't even have her own ongoing title, who has a movie coming out in a couple months, who you, we know you're going to resurrect most likely as a mutant for Synergy. And, I'm, and I've had this conversation before, but it's just like, this is the shit that like really, really bums me out, bums me out about like, like corporation Synergy sometimes. Because like sometimes it's good and sometimes it's like, 
Nick Lowe really thinks this is a great idea. That dude's like pushing hard of like, nah, y'all, wait till you read this comic. And I'm like, bro, I did. I did. It's awful. I don't want to say it's awful. Like, I want to support, I want to support bold ideas, but like, this is not the way. Um, so the the article is on uh, AIPT.com. Look at that. Uh, with uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 26 proves comics haven't come very far since Alex DeWitt's bridging. And it's written by Leah Williamson. <laughs> I'm going to send the link to Brandon and Brandon can add it to the links for this episode uh, yeah. later on. Love it. Uh, so so that'll be there for those of you watching the rewind or th- or checking out the audio. Love it. Uh, okay, my turn? Yep, absolutely. Cool. I watched Punisher War Zone. Yeah, I saw um, you did that. That's cool. Yeah, in honor of Ray, Ray Stevenson's passing, it was the it was the one where I was like I I wanted to check this one out hmm. for a while, and and as Sparks mentioned last week that you know this was something that like it now shot up on my list now that he's he's passed. Uh, so I checked it out. It's very fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, the action is incredible. It is very much like early though so there's still like you know there's still kind of some quick editing to kind of hide some of the some of the choreography in the beginning but that maybe is a staging thing because the rest of the action throughout is very good including his action sequence with zodiac yeah it's um this was an insanely low budget movie yeah like like probably maybe like in terms of big scale like one of the lower lower budget marvel movies and this was directed by a a palestinian indie director alexi alexander uh who you should follow on twitter because she gives the best uh uh, the best views on political politics in hollywood and being you know being a woman being a person of color all that stuff uh she doesn't get to make a lot of shit like this uh and this was like this is a big big marvel movie directed by a woman of color and that like nobody really talks about uh so i've always praised it i think it's great i'm so glad you got to watch it so for those of you who don't know, this Punisher Warzone is part of a very short-lived Marvel Studios brand called Marvel Knights. Um, they were going to attempt to do more R-rated fare under the under Marvel Studios on a banner called Marvel Knights based off the comic, um, the, the comic line of the same name. So Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance and Punisher Warzone were under that brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and both those movies underperformed, so Marvel Studios didn't pursue that idea. Who knows how much of that idea is Kevin Feige or Ike Perlmutter's? Uh, yeah. we, we can't really say. I want to say, and I could be wrong, but there's also a Blade television show. And I think that might also be, because those are around the same time, that might be Marvel Knights. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. That's possible. Um, it was Spike, I think. Spike, yeah. I think. I could be wrong. But yeah, it was like some weird network, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah I, 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 I'm always kind of fascinated by, Marvel, by the Marvel Knights brand because I thought it was a really interesting idea um, that I kind of was hoping they would resurrect now that they're I, kind of doing more dark, more dark material. I, I, whether they're call, they'll call it Marvel Knights or not, like I do think we are going to go into a more mature direction just because as many characters as we have, like it's only fair to serve that many audiences. There will be some type of Marvel Knights, whether it's an a imprint or just a collection of movies like with Werewolf by Night because um, that's kind of rated R. Um, yeah. I, I think a resurrection is smart. Yeah. Yeah, because I really, uh, the, you know, it's got its own logo, and then it's, you know, it's like very much like the Marvel, the pre, the the Phase One Marvel Studios logo, and then, but as like as the Marvel Knights, and it's black and white, and it's cool. I really like it. I just, I just pictured, uh, uh, like a new one for Marvel Knights in the MCU era, and it's all like I got like Dark Universe vibes in my head immediately, <laughs> you know, like Ooh. from the red to the black. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. the when the when the thing comes around the around the black sun yeah yeah r.i.p dark universe um yeah. 
Anyway, so Punisher Wars is really cool. Ray Stevens is an awesome. Um, Wayne Wayne Knight is yep. micro. Uh, that's really fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Dominic West is Zodiac, and he's Jigsaw. It was Jigsaw. Thank you. Zodiac is from Spirit of Vengeance. Um, a version of Zodiac. It's not actually him. Um, but the uh, uh, Jigsaw is uh, such an unhinged villain. That was so much fun to watch him play because he. I just saw him like two years ago, maybe last year, in Downton Abbey. Oh, sure. <laughs> because he's british so he's like playing a posh british man uh and so like see this guy completely inside was really fun yeah uh i love uh he gives a speak jigsaw uh, so he was also in the punisher netflix show uh but i like this one not that it's a bad the netflix one but like i just like this one because he, like i said Brent, he's so unhinged but he gives a speech in front of the american flag to a bunch of villains recruiting yes. them and like the like um, like american music's playing in the back and he's like my fellow americans and he's got like a effed up face because like his face got like destroyed that it's really fun it's really fun yeah um, I, I recommend. So I also watched Howard, which is the documentary about um, Howard Sherman, who uh, who is one of the uh, creators of the who is one of the songwriters, the songwriter for The Little Mermaid, worked with Alan Menken on Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. Little Shop of Horrors, apparently, Ooh, is I him. Love it. Didn't know that. I love that movie. That um, also, it always baffles me whenever when I when it clicks on that Little Shop of Horrors is a remake of a 1950s film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, it's a really interesting look at this guy's life. Um, I did really, I did really enjoy it. It's not my kind of documentary though, because it's it 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 is two percent moving images and then ninety eight percent still images. And so what it is, it's like it'll be a picture of Howard or his, or his sister or him as a kid with his dad or something, and then the camera just kind of zooms in on the picture. That's like a YouTube video essay, right? While uh, while uh, dial while while the talking heads are happening in the background, um, and we never see the talking heads. Uh, we only ever see the we only ever hear their voices, and they're always they're always, we, they always have to tell us who they are when they start speaking. Hmm. So I'm not crazy about how the documentary was done, but I do think it's an important documentary to watch, especially with Little Mermaid out right now, because um, this guy and lived Pride Month. What? And it being Pride Month. And it being Pride Month, you know, this was a really prominent uh, man who created uh, some awesome music for Disney's Renaissance era. Arguably, wouldn't Disney wouldn't have had a Renaissance era without him. His Little Mermaid is the beginning of it. Um, apparently, he was also going to be hired to do a sequel to Mary Poppins in the 90s. And, you know, that didn't happen. But it's fun to think about. 30 years later, she returned. Um, you know what? That probably was the idea to get... Uh, uh, Joe, jo, what's her name? Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews back because she would she could have played the role back then. Mm -hmm. Right. Every thirty years she returns. Working <laughs> oh, umbrella with lightning. <laughs> yeah. um, Scary that, Poppins is one of my favorite YouTube like trailer <laughs> re-edits oh. to make a movie a horror movie. Scary Poppins really. I haven't hurts thought about that in a long time. Really yeah. Good. I also started watching The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, which is on uh, Disney+. Plus. I have not seen the entire thing before. Just kind of a, a smackering of episodes here and there. Um, and so I decided to, to you know, sit down and watch it because the, what, for those of you who don't know, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or the Chronicles of Young Indiana Jones or whatever it was called, was a hour-long uh, educational drama that had these bookends of of uh, older uh, older indiana jones telling adventure telling stories about his young life where he met every famous fictional every, every famous real life character in the world um which is fun 
And does um, every episode have bookends? Every of the original run did with George Hall, uh, with the exception of the one that Harrison Ford did. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so anyway, flash forward, show was canceled, nobody liked the show. 1996, George Lucas re George Lucas re-edits re-edits the show into 22 hour and a half movies. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's what's on that's what's readily available, that's what's on Disney Plus. What he did was he took out the George Hall, uh, every scene with George Hall. So no longer old Indiana Jones, the Zy Patch and his loving of soap operas. Um, and they refilmed Bridges for each story because it would be composed of two episodes. And so there'd be like eight year old Indy and then 10 year old Indy. But they were going to we're supposed to believe they're the same age because now this is consecutive consecutive. And the kid didn't age within the year that they did the two episodes. And. Then it's filmed, so the things are filmed with the same kid who is now three years older. <laughs> so in the in the movie, you'll see this kid go from an eight year old to a thirteen year old to a ten year old hmm. in one movie, and it's very funny. Um, but it's it's you know it's fun. It's it's kind of feels like Indiana Jones fan fiction because you know there was one episode where he met um, Pablo Picasso and. Um, Norman Rockwell, one mm. episode. I'm like, this is too many famous people, Indy. I've seen one episode of the Chronicles of Jones, Indiana, Henry, the based on the dog, and it's the mustard gas episode because I watched it in history class. Yeah, that's the that's the not quite so young Indiana Jones episodes. Mm-hmm. That's when he goes to World War One, I, I think. Yep, yep, yep. So it's based on it's basically young Indiana Jones wishbone. <laughs> pretty much that's fantastic yeah pretty much it's really interesting um and like it doesn't really quite feel like like indy as we know him because he's very the very different i mean obviously he's a 10 year old kid so like you know it's gonna be different but like his dad is you know he's he's kind of like a stern kind of absent dad but he's like nice to indiana um and then his mom his mom which we've never we never meet the mom in the movies and so it's really so kind of the the biggest value for like an indiana jones fan is to meet his mom in the show she has an affair in the third episode get it with with a famous opera composer and she like considers leaving henry jones and you're like boy in the last crusade, when you were like, hey, your mom hid your illness from me, Indiana should have definitely said, hey, remember when she almost cheated on you? There's a famous song called Me and Mrs. Jones. I guess it's about Indy's mom. I guess so. It's it's wild. It was wild. I was watching this episode. I was like, a 90s kids educational program where the mom is tempted by love to leave her family behind. <laughs> wow. Hey man, if you're unhappy, that's educational. Like, hey, don't be stuck in a, a loveless relationship. <laughs> Learn that when you're seven. Yeah, you're that's true. All the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I no shame on uh, Mrs. Jones, like, get it, girl. But, like, it's <laughs> wild to me that, like, that, like, uh, that was happening on ABC Family on the, I mean, in 1992. I mean, a little bit of shame, like, cheating's wrong. Cheating is wrong. Cheating's bad. She could have been polyamorous. That's she, that's like entirely, that's Henry likes to swing with, like, saying the same chicks that his son dates. So, like, who knows that, what he's into? Hey, man, maybe they're into some weird shit. It's if Indiana Jones Chronicles clearly establishes, which I highly doubt, that they were in an openly polyamorous <laughs> relationship, even it was that he wasn't and she was, but he was okay <laughs> with it. That's very different than she's cheating on Listen, him. Listen, episode six is like called Indiana totally Jones different. and Discovery of Polyamory. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I'm excited to go through it. I've never gone through the whole thing before, um, and it's it, and it's fun to do. And uh, yeah, I kind of just waiting for the Harrison Ford episode because those are the only bookends that weren't taken out of the re-edit. That makes sense. If Indy were 20 today, he would be polyamorous. Oh yeah, 100. percent And probably bisexual. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100. Uh, percent There's kind of a it's reading into it a bit much, but he does seem to have a, a, a little, a little, a little gay crush on a, on a, on a slave. That there's no way to say that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really trying to find a better word, but it was a slave. Yeah, but Hold up. Maybe I don't want to watch this show. <laughs> Check out Grayson's comment: Indiana Jones Swingers Club. <laughs> the Swingers Club. I mean, he's got a whip. He uh, does have a whip. <laughs> The, the the first episode they go to a sultan's place and he owns slaves and that they have like a they have multiple long conversations about why slavery is wrong but hey we do it so it's not so bad sure yeah yeah um anyway <laughs> all right the um, spider-verse episode right yep We're talking about spider-verse right and two more things ted lasso ended uh just want to say hey great run three seasons wonderful show love it jason sudeikis was great in the role Definitely felt feels a little weirder than the first two seasons because they lost their showrunner who did the Harrison Ford, Jason Bate, Jason Siegel, Jason Siegel, shrieking for shrinking show. He developed that, and so so Jason Sudeikis. That's Bill Bill Lawrence, right? Yeah, Bill Lawrence. Scrubs, Scrubs. Oh, sure, okay. All that stuff. He he left and. My understanding from everyone who's been watching Ted Lasso is like, boy, do you feel it? Yes, yeah, you one hundred percent do. Yeah, um, but it, but it's still good and it's still like keeping true to the spirit of Ted Lasso. It's, it just is not structured very well anymore, and there's some pacing issues. Um, it's not, as, it's not as tight, but they're, they wrap up Ted's story in a really good way, um, but they don't wrap up anyone else's story in a satisfying way. And I really, I really hope that's because of the rumors of the spinoff show that's just with everyone else and not Ted mm-hmm. is in fact happening because that would make a lot of sense. But if not, it just kind of feels a little selfish because we have grown to love these characters and and the Ted Lasso definitely didn't become just his show anymore. It was everyone's. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of weird that we don't get closure for everyone else. Do you want a spinoff show without Bill Lawrence with these characters? Without Bill Lawrence? Probably. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. I, I, I just ask because I know a lot. Of, I've heard enough people talking about Ted Lasso passively on podcasts the same way you are right now. Yeah. Um, in like a, it's not the main feature, but so they've talked about the season. And they're like, yeah, I kind of want them to just like be done. <laughs> I just, just stop. <laughs> I get it. And I'm like, if they do stop, like, that's fine. You know, the main, the title character of the show got a happy ending. Um, I, I would be okay with it because like I'm and I know I'm in the minority, but I did enjoy the season. Um, and I just I I see a road without Ted Lasso just doing a show called Richmond or sure. someone else's name. I think the bigger thing is that people have been saying they're not interested without Bill Lawrence. Yeah, that's true. Based on based on the season was yeah. my was why I asked that. I gotta give Shrinking another shot because I watched the fir- I watched half of the first episode. I couldn't really get through it. So people say it's like Harrison Ford's most like he's most acting thing in like twenty years. Yeah. That he's just like fully committed to a character there in a big yeah. way. And I'm like, I heard, wow, really neat. I heard that. Sad no one says that about 1923, though, because he's really good in that show. Well, man, everyone who watches that is like 85 years old and like in the middle. And of me. 
It doesn't tweet and doesn't, <laughs> doesn't podcast. Doesn't know what Twitter is. <laughs> um, finally, I'll just talk about The Little Mermaid. Um, I, wa- I went to see the new Little Mermaid movie, uh, Halle Bailey. Um, it's pretty good. Like, honestly, like, it's it's pretty good. It's enjoyable. I, I put it around Beauty and the Beast because I, I really like Beauty and the Beast. Sure. Um, so probably like in the Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid Aladdin area. Um, probably in that order going from bottom to low, <laughs> bottom to high. Um, but it's pretty good, except for the beginning. The first act really bugged me and I was kind of like... I don't know if I'm going to be okay with this because I find I found every scene under the sea pun intended intensely boring and uninteresting. And that's, that really sucks because I do think there's some interesting CG happening here and some good acting. Uh, Halle Bailey is incredible. Um, but I just don't, it's just not filmed in an interesting way. And the musical numbers both fall flat um for me anyway under the sea really bugs me because it's just him kind of swimming around with a bunch of sea life and he's talking about like the bass plays the 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 bass plays the bass and i'm like what bass what bass you you tweeted about that and i've been sharing it with my wife and other people where like i didn't even think about that until you said it and i'm like of course they wouldn't of course they wouldn't have the fish playing instruments because they're going for realism now yeah and it really made it click for me that i'm like of all the pieces, maybe in these live action things in general, this should be the case, but certainly for Under the Sea, it should have turned into a fantasy musical number the exact same way that musical numbers do in musical films. Sure. Where it becomes this fantastical envisionment where things that aren't real are happening. It should have done the exact same thing for their context. Yeah. So the fish thing gets more cartoony and fantastical because it is a musical number in the same way that Musical numbers happen in other musical films. Yeah. And when that clicked in my brain, I was like, how how are they this stupid? How are they this stupid to have lyrics about fish playing instruments and not figure this out? Honestly, I would have been okay with you changing the lyrics. Yeah. Sure. But I think that part of the point is like Under the Sea is designed to be in its construction a very colorful song it is the most colorful song of the film it's vibrant it is of the like you could have all the other musical numbers be straightforward this one should have been a fantasy yeah um and the other thing that they really ruined with that with that number that i didn't quite i didn't quite realize until i until i saw it happen is that halle Halle bailey sings along to it at the later end of the song and I'm like, you just lost the meaning of the song. Because the point is that she's not singing because she's not listening to Sebastian. And Sebastian isn't getting through to her. But if she sings, it makes the audience think that Sebastian is getting through to her. So why does she leave? Mm-hmm. And I really just thought that was a that was a that was just like, oh, we have Haley Bailey, so so we gotta we have to have her sing the big number the big under the sea number. I'm like, you didn't. Yeah, but do you um do you remember the swamp? <laughs> you remember my song in the swamp? Swamp. So, <laughs> Scuttle gets a song called the Scuttlebutt. Oh lord! And it is atrocious. And I I here's the thing. I don't actually think that under un, given to a a better singer, frankly, it probably could have been really fun. There's really nothing wrong with it outside of Aquafina sings it. Yeah, and. That I just don't. It just doesn't work because of that. She's so annoying as a singer. I like Aquafina. I like her as Scuttle. I think she's a fine choice for Scuttle. It's just that song was not it. Well, part of the problem is that like 
Aquafina as Scuttle, and I don't mean Aquafina, I mean the character of Scuttle and her playing it, the way that the reason she's cast to play Scuttle is Scuttle's supposed to be annoying, and Aquafina can do the annoying that Scuttle can be, right? Yeah. Like Scuttle's always supposed to be annoying. Scuttle tr tries to do a song at one point in The Little Mermaid. He doesn't like fully commit to it because they make him shut up because he's annoying. That's like yeah. part of the point. So like Aquafina is not always annoying, but like part of the point of her doing it is that she's supposed to be annoying. You just don't let her sing a whole song. Yeah. <laughs> uh i think that but i think outside of that everyone's great I, I really like how i really like what they do with eric honestly i think that's the most valuable stuff is giving eric a lot more agency a bit of a personality um and like the relationship between ariel and and him and eric really sings because of that so when he enters the movie actually more specifically when melissa mccarthy ends the, enters the movie the movie sings like it's like pun intended it's good and i was really enjoying it the love story works really well the chemistry is awesome. I think the musical numbers have more energy when they're on the surface. <laughs> um, and I I really did. I did start to really enjoy it and really get into it. Melissa McCarthy is my absolute favorite thing in the movie. She's incredible as Ursula. I've heard um, nothing but good things. Like, that's the only reason, honestly, like, I, I kind of want to see her and Halle Bailey. Yeah, she's so good as ursula her number is awesome uh like she commits and it's like what it's the most colorful it's the most colorful that the c that the c sections are it's she's moving around like an animated character her tentacles are not stick don't stick to a size how do the eels look eels are great they're good look good okay. yeah they look like they look like creepy eels they even do the eye thing when like the two of them oh. are looking that's what i was we were worried oh, they were making, yeah we, they were gonna be too realistic but like as long as they look spooky hell yeah yeah they look evil and i like yeah. it uh really? melissa mccarthy honestly looks like she came out of a different movie nice that's great um i really liked her and i re was really impressed with the fact that this was her first singing number and she nails poor unfortunate soul love it um i she's incredible chalk one up for villains being seeing the show from the main characters and like that's not just not so shade on Halle bailey she's great she's great as ariel like quite frankly she's per pitch perfect um the last thing i want to say is it was really incredibly funny when they do the like the big reveal of atlantis or whatever the hell they live and you know in the you know the gold palace in the movie and it's just four stacks of coral mm, yeah. and i was like is it behind it like are we there yet what are we doing here yeah, i will i will say that like I think Aquaman makes Little Mermaid look a little bit like, come on, y'all. You could have tried. I was just thinking Aquaman's coming out in six months. I'm so excited. Well, like Aquaman's colorful. It's vibrant. It has a whole setup underwater. It has octopus really playing cool. the drums. I like it has an octopus <laughs> playing the drums. Like I, I just like when Aquaman came out and we knew that they were wanting to do a Little Mermaid live action. I was like, see, this is like we can. It's very interesting what can we picture with underwater kind of stuff and i i if you told me that aquaman was going to be more vibrant and colorful than the little mermaid live action film before either came out i wouldn't have thought that it's true but yeah. here we are it's true. uh the sorry there's one more thing i wanted to say which is that they they really made they really brought the subtext into text uh for example it's it's revealed that um not revealed anybody who knows the little mermaid anyone who watched the show anyone who watched the sequel anyone who cared about the lore whatever um they it was a stupid thing to say but they um they 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 lean into the fact that ursula and triton are siblings that ursula is triton's sister um which isn't which isn't text in the original film it's subtext um and then the ariel now has mermaid powers she has the powers of the siren and that's her voice i think it's text in the broadway play 
It's possible. Yeah, I haven't seen I, the Broadway play. Yeah, I saw it years ago when I went to New York City, and I do remember Triton saying something about how Ursula was a sister, but he had to banish her. And when Ariel has like her conch or like her thing of power in the Broadway show, Ursula's trying to be like, Oh, Ariel, my niece. And she's like, No, you're is like, oh come on, you're not gonna hurt your aunt or anything like that. And yeah, then maybe yeah. this also this is all kind of this is all not verbatim, but similar dialogue happens in the movie. So it's possible. Yeah. Um yeah, I, you know, they did they do big Ursula, so like how bad could it be? Um so yeah, honestly, go see it if you want. No screen on my back. Definitely, instead of just skipping it, I'll definitely watch it when it comes to Disney Plus. There you go. Me too. Check it out on Disney Plus. I'm gonna um, go see it with my wife at some point. We want to support Hallie Bailey. Hell yeah. All right, that's my week though. Sorry that took so long. No. Um, shall we go into our bread and butter? Uh let's get right into it with some sad news. Uh Yukiko Takayama passed away this week. Now, if you don't know who she is, that's okay. Uh, she is the only woman ever to write a Godzilla movie. Oh. Uh, she wrote Terror of Mechagodzilla, which ended the Showa era, uh, the sequel to Mechagodzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and she passed away at the age of 83. Damn. That's well, that's point. awesome. There should be more women writing cool monster movies. Yeah. There's that. I wanted to bring that up because, um, you know, she wrote a Godzilla movie, which is great. Terra Mecha yeah. Godzilla is incredible. Um, and she and I didn't know that there were there had been no other women who who've written Godzilla movies. So to be fair, I didn't know there had been women that had been allowed to write a Godzilla movie. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's cool to know. Yeah. There you go. New information. All right. Let's move on to the Directors Guild of America. Nothing but good news here. Right, Brandon? Yeah, sure. Whatever. It's for the Directors Guild, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So the a tentative. So here's so here's what we know. A tentative deal has been reached between the DGA and the AMPTP, which is the American Motion Picture something people. Something. The movie men. The top movie men. Yeah, it's the guys. It's the guy. It's Netflix and Amazon and MGM and the same company now and Fox. That's Disney. Whatever you know. Those guys. The same three companies who own everything. Yeah. Yeah. The same three companies who own everything. <laughs> the studios. The studios, the people who fund the things that the people who are striking make. Um, so they have reached a deal with the DGA, which is the Directors Guild of America, um, that includes gains in wages, uh, wages and benefits, uh, streaming residuals, which is which is a big one that the um, Writers Guild are fighting for, uh, AI protections, which is again what the what these Writers Guild are fighting for, and uh, there is there is a far longer comprehensive list that I will put that I can pull up if you want to kind of dive into it. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of leave it there for now. Now, this is not ratified. This deal is not, is not so, so uh, their contract isn't up until the 30th this month. And it's not, nothing is set in stone yet. The, the DGA has to bring it to their members now and their members have to look at it and then see if they want and then ratify it. So, you know, good for them, I guess. Yeah, it's really awesome for those directors. Um, yeah. It's just really a bummer that they are just doing this in the middle of the other strike that's happening, and uh, they don't seem to be throwing. Well, and like it's it's not the DGA's fault that no. the AMPTP is willing to negotiate on terms that they're not willing to do with the writers. That's not 
that's not their fault. There's considerably um, less less amount of directors than there are writers in the world. Yes. So like, which is one of the reasons they're and actors and yeah. Screen Actors Guild one will and come up. Directors too. generally, uh, even on your smallest projects, have significantly more uh, stature and importance because you know making the thing like obviously writing is super important, but like the director is like they are stage hands for everything that they are putting a, a thing together. So like they'll want the directors to be happy, and honestly, uh, most directors are well enough off that I'm sure they can reach a deal that they're totally happy with because a lot of directors do get paid a lot of money already. I'm not saying all of them do, but it's a lot easier to find uh, a deal for a, a significantly smaller amount of people uh, uh, than the amount of huge amount of writers uh, in the, in the WGA. No, you're right. That's why they're doing it, and like because their contract negotiations, you know, were going to come up anyway. They're, this is very much heading off like the easiest one to adhere to yeah. is the directors because it is the smallest group and it's just it's bad one, timing. And it's the one that they they'll be more invested in. Like if they can get the directors on their side, then they'll feel like they can win in the long run. Yeah. Um, but it it'll be interesting to see how the members react to the deal going. Brandon, you were going to say more. Well, I was going to say that you know the 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 fact that the um that the the studios think they can make the deal here is because they're it's because the directors are are kind of using the writers as leverage a little bit. Like, hey, if if you don't make a deal with us, we'll go we'll go with them. Yeah. Um. And so so they feel like as as you guys were saying, more secure in making a a, a deal for with the directors. One of the one of the things that so the two biggest things that the writers are fighting for that the directors are also are looks like they're getting is streaming residuals, which is a big deal um, right now because streaming pays no residuals, not really. Mm-hmm. And so they've they have set up a system now that could see. And so this contract has in this clause that uh, for every couple for every like three within three years, residuals will go up to a total of ninety thousand dollars per director. So that's an extra ninety thousand dollars in residuals that the directors will get. Yeah, I hate I hate that three year thing that they pull they do this in contracts all the time where they're like over the course of three years it'll get to the point that you feel it should be yeah and then inflation by that point might mean that that doesn't mean anything anymore yep 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 that's what happened with minimum wage when the government raised the minimum wage Uh uh-huh that's what happened in my work um and then the other one is the ai thing which very basically short and sweet the it says that it will not it, it cannot replace directors it will not replace directors it is not a, it is not a human being it, it, so basically they got the protection of the job security of my job will never be taken by ai that's fantastic and awesome again it's a lot harder for an ai person to direct an entire project as opposed to them just writing something or just doing music it is a, a significantly smaller thing like yeah. no one's gonna ask like hey i'm gonna add this computer to write edit produce like we've seen there, how those things turn out they're totally shitty now there is a silver lining in that in that this is what amptp has admitted to in the deal yeah and the phrasing of it does give writers a stand to say, like, you have admitted that that it does not factor in for a creative human voice in the room. Yeah. Which means that same sentence is true for AI in terms of writers. Yeah. Like, if you're saying that sentence is true here, you have to acknowledge the sentence is true here as well. Absolutely. And so, like, that is a that is a small silver lining of, like, where they can leverage some power in future negotiations when they do get to go back to the table. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that's frustrating about that, though, Sparks, sorry to interrupt, is, is no, that... The 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 AMPCP has been saying that we can't go back to the negotiating table with the WGA because we had the DGA negotiations up, and that's not fair because you can negotiate with two unions at one time. Oh yeah, I mean like they'll say whatever they can to save face about like the fact that they're just being shitty, greedy people. Yeah, yeah. like of course they'll try and change the narrative on that, but but they 
they did kind of in the haste to get the director's stuff secured so that there wouldn't be another group striking when I think they know, I think Ryan's correct. They're a smaller and easier to appease group than the other two. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to do this for SAG-AFTRA. Yeah. And I do think SAG-AFTRA will strike. And uh, I think they were like, we can't have all three. Um, and so in their rush to do this, I think they kind of set themselves up for a little bit of failure on the AI front because they allowed a sentence of their volition where they admit an AI cannot replace a human being mm. to exist. They're now caught. If that deal goes through, that's legally binding language that they can point to for those other contracts. Yeah, you guys said it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, here's the direct here's the direct quote. Groundbreaking agreement confirming that AI is not a person and that generative AI cannot replace the duties performed by its members. Right. That is that is a good sign. That's that's yeah. that is a like they might have been rushing to secure this and that sense might come back to, to hurt them. To hurt them when when inevitably uh they have to go back to negotiating. Yeah. Um and uh that can be an advantage. So that's nice that that's there. And again, like, you know, it's the DGA, if they're getting the things that they're asking for, like good on them. Um, now it's up to the members if they're going to decide like, yes, this is everything we wanted, but we stand with the writers. And if mm. they're going to withhold their approval of the deal just because of that, That'd be that's a whole different thing. That'd yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, honestly, there's some pretty good stuff here. Like the um, there's a feature directors, which is going to allow directors to get paid for what's called soft prep which is basically just before you enter pre-production you're not getting paid until you enter pre-production and now you are that's right. nice that's good um so and then yeah so yeah good for them hope it yeah. works out um that's linked below if anyone wants to check out the full mm -hmm. list of terms T to be determined what will happen next tune in next week spider-man we just talked about spider-man i got a, spider I, got, I got a whole section of spider-man right here I'm I'm juiced. I'm primed. Spider-Man. 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 The untitled MCU Spider-Man for Spider-Man movie. Uh, they have they have confirmed in a big kind of article that confirmed other things. Avi Aaron and pa pa uh, Pedro Pascal, um, Amy Pascal, um, have uh, talked about that there had been meetings and kind of plans of what they were forming Spider-Man for before the writer strike, but. Because of the writer's strike, they've stopped that in solidarity. But Pascal did say an interesting quote, which is, whenever they get themselves together, we'll get started. <laughs> yeah, she's funny. <laughs> That's, That's something you it. don't... Oh, that just makes... Um, that just makes you look like, oh, we'll just wait. I mean, I mean cool that... She had like she was like oh yeah well we're just you know we're waiting until the right we're you know we on solidarity the writers we're not we're not moving forward on this production right now she was set and then she said that I was like girl yeah. no you could you could make an argument in better faith right that like she's referring more to AMPTP than the writers but like yeah. she's not mm -hmm. um, because we know Pascal and we know Arad and we know where they'd stand on that fight yeah it's like um, they gave it the, she had a great softball response and it was like okay yeah maybe or like, all right yeah let's do this let's do this and then the second she says that all that goodwill i think is like and it's gone they get a little bit of good faith because they're gonna we're talking about it in yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. had some good faith it's like hey we're gonna then, not work on this movie because the right strike hey okay cool but once you get yourself sorted out we'll get back to it oh goodbye faith we'll drop that one um the uh tom holland the tom holland i don't know why i said it like that tom holland um is now saying he wants to be Spider-Man for as long as he can. Um, as long as the story's know, good. 
as long as they keep it fresh and entertaining. As um, long as everything else he tries to do flops. Man, that boy, that kid. That kid oh, cannot catch him. I call him Kid. He's like 26 or whatever. Uh, he'll always be a kid in my heart. Uh, he, he just can't pick roles, apparently. That's a bummer. Yeah. He needs a new agent. Yeah. He does. I mean, um, but yeah, so now he now he's because before after Spider-Man No Way Home, he was very much like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to keep doing this anymore. And now he's like, yeah, I want to keep doing it. Like three flops Maybe. in a row. Like you want me to you want me to continue to make money playing the most popular hero in the world? I mean, yeah, like during that interview, he had said, like, listen, like, I'm not gonna pretend like this isn't the most blessed life in the world. Like, of course, like I I love being Spider-Man. Just you know, like it's it's exhausting sometimes. Like, you know, like you know, time enough away, you you you'd start to to be, you know start to want it again or whatever yeah. so like I, I get it dude like making those movies for like so many years in a row is exhausting probably making well i think bad. especially what it was is like he was coming off of the train of far from home infinite like civil infinite war, war end game far from home uh and end game uh sorry uh uh no way home like yeah. all so so close three to spider-man movies two avengers movies yeah yeah, yeah. in Captain such a America. small m- amount of time i'd want to break too absolutely yeah yeah he basically he basically single-handedly did the entirety of the Disney Star Wars film run uh as for his own performances. Like he made he had just as many movies in just a small amount of time. He was working. Yeah. And that's a good point. Uh yeah, so you know, hey. Uh when, once the once this starts going, I'm happy for it. People, by the way, have been running with the with someone someone said that uh Spider-Man 4 with Tom Holland and Zadea is in the works. Nowhere in the interview does do Avi Arad or uh, uh, Amy Pascal mention Zendaya as part of it. Yeah. Um, it's just that guy just assumes stuff. So, you know, beware of clickbait. Smart. I wouldn't be uh, surprised if she is, though. Oh, I'm sure she is. I just, they didn't say anything. Um, Miles Morales is getting a live action movie. That's one of the nuggets that they threw out in that, in that interview. Tasty nugget. I hope is it's it an empty one. Yeah, I was about to ask, is it MCU or is it just Sony? But it's also oh. probably too soon in the MCU. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, a Spider-Woman, Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman, so Spider-Gwen, um, is... Abby Arid has said it's it's coming sooner than later, which tells me it's in development. And, it's... and that's supposed to be an animated spinoff yes. to Spider-Verse. That's fine. Yes. With oh, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Um, anything so yeah. anything Spider-Verse connected, of course. I I'm I'm all for a live action Miles Morales. The only reason I say I want it to be MCU is because like I, I want an MCU Miles, and if you do non-MCU Miles, we're not gonna get MCU Miles. True. <laughs> that's that's really all it comes down to. Yeah. Uh all right. Well I don't want Miles stuck in the Venomverse. <laughs> Fighting he, Morbius, please. They did though. it. He's he's the Spider-Man. From the Venom verse, you, you just—I don't—I don't want him fighting Jared Leto. <laughs> Although seeing him punch Jared Leto in the face would be satisfying. Yeah, Adrian yeah, Toomes comes. Watch Jared Leto for the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian Toomes walks up. Walks up. Was like, "You're not my Spider-Man." And gets socked in the face. Yeah. Want to get nuts? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as Ryan mentioned up top, but about Spider-Man, hey, Superior Spider-Man is coming back. Dan Slott will return to write Superior Spider-Man. That's all we know. There is no news. They've said it is swinging in soon, though. So there's... Question. Sorry, I thought you were about to be. Question. No, please. Yo, Question up? first. Yeah, yeah. This is when Doc Ock is in Peter's body, correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. Just so, double checking. So this, people, obviously, mass speculation. Um, I A lot of people think, okay, like, hey, Spider-Man's not in a great spot. Let's go back to a time when Spider-Man was super hot and Superior Spider-Man is an awesome time. 
a lot of there's some really good fun speculation because Dan Slott is writing other Spider-Man stuff right now that I'm not reading. I'm not going to, frankly. Um, but he introduced a character. I don't remember. I think it's either like Spider Boy or Spider Boy. There's a new Spider-Man character uh, that's like a young a young teen character, right? Um, and people are speculating that like that something happens in that book where that kid is is wants to prove himself to Spider-Man. So maybe this guy, this new spider kid will be the superior Spider-Man to try to like, I'm going to be the next Spider-Man kind of thing. Um, Cause like, frankly, that's much more interesting than just, Hey, let's go back 10 years because everything we love is nostalgic. Right. And like, and that is a great run, but like, I don't need any more a Doc Ock as Peter story. Like I, I have that run. That run lasted not long enough, but it was perfect because it lasted just long enough. I will, um, I will say my assumption was that this was going to be someone taking the moniker and, and look of Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. This has happened with Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley, who we're talking about where other people have been Scarlet Spider and it wasn't Ben Riley. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I, that's kind of what I assumed this would be. But because it's slot, I'm like, I guess it could go either way. Yeah. And the, because it's slot, I'm also yeah. uninterested. Uh, and again, like, unfortunately. If, if, if he hasn't been writing his own current, like, you know, just his own Spider-Man in the universe, now here's my Spider-Man book. You know, a lot of people are getting that these days. Um, like, I would assume it's Doc Ock, but like, because there's a, a, you know, a run that's happening now, I don't know what's happening in it, but science point to, it will be like a moniker thing, which is, that's fine. That's cool. Yeah, the end of the Spider-Verse, I think, is that run? Uh, right yeah. It, yeah, it leads into, leads into that, yeah. Hmm. Um, We'll see. Probably we'll get more news about it this week. So, yeah. Spider Man Octopus Girl. Oh. Have you heard it. about this? Yeah, I didn't know you put this in the news. <laughs> I think this is cool. Yeah. Well, sure. in a funny way. So, a manga spinoff of Across the Spider Verse. So, this is set in the Spider Verse story and will be published in Japan uh, on June 20th through the Shonen Jump Plus app. Um, this is going to be written by. When art done by Hide, Hideyuki uh, Furu, Furuhashi and Betancourt. They are the team behind Hero, the My Hero Academia spinoff, My Hero Academia Vigilante. Yes. Um, this is going to be about Doc Ock falling into a coma and then waking up as a Japanese schoolgirl named Otaha Okutamiya. It's superior Spider-Man, but I, I turn into a Japanese anime. Oh, cool. but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Isekai is an incredibly just... popular genre. No, I get it. And so like, I was I just it. about to say that they just turned Doc Ock into an Isekai. Yeah. I, I mean, Do if, if you really want to like bend some straws here, Ben, Doc Ock pulled an Isekai <laughs> in yeah. Superior Spider-Man. Like, that's what happened. They've normalized like, it. But this is this is a very popular genre in Japan. The reason I'm like I don't know how good it'll be or anything like um, the, the vigilante spinoff has been received very well. So I assume it'll probably be pretty quality. Um, Isekai is super fun. Yeah. Uh, we've all read um, one for this po podcast, at least one, which is the uh, what if I was, Oh no, I was reincarnated as Yamcha. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, like that, that can be a lot of fun kind of storytelling. I think the thing that makes me happy about it is that they're doing this and it's not um, Akira Yoshida doing it. It's that they're, you know, giving it to a Japanese author to actually go ahead and make it. It's, you know, Spider-Man is popular around the world as a character. So this makes total sense. Having them take full authorship of it, it mm -hmm. that makes me like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That could be cool. Yeah. I mean, of course, Spider-Man is also hugely popular in Japan. Remember that 70s um, TV show that they, had, they made? Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. Ben, yes, absolutely. Spider-Man is the most popular hero yeah. around the world, yeah. and it's yeah. not close, Ben. <laughs> so, like, of course. Yes, there's Japanese yeah. stuff, there's India stuff. Spider-Man's big everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I just have one question. Is Doc Ock going to get hit by a truck? So when he wakes up, he wakes up in the body of the girl. Oh, no, he's, no, he's fighting he Spider-Man. He's fighting Spider-Man. He's going he to slip into a coma and then wake up as a Japanese schoolgirl. I think yeah. it's funny. I, I kind of want to read that it. Is fun. No, it is funny. I, I, I... <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm all for the, the yeah. weird isekai yeah. genre. The reason why I asked it because in like a lot of isekais, you get hit by a truck and then they wake up. Yes, I've no, seen. I know. I'm just saying, like they said in the description, he slips into a coma, so yeah. he just he's just gonna go in a coma. I assume. I think he's fighting Spider-Man, and Spider-Man knocks him into the coma. No, mm, that works. Fair enough. With a truck. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, you know what? Maybe fire truck. Have you seen uh, the very fantastic anime reincarnated as a slime Ben? Not yet. Okay, so the dude isekais into that world in the first episode because literally just a man is running full force, full tilt with a knife, a big like hunting knife pointed straight forward down the street. He's just, he could, for no clear purpose, just running straight and, he, and like he gets this guy. That's just who he gets. He wasn't <laughs> aiming for him. He's not going with any intent. He just like, how's this guy going to get got? Just a man running down the street with a hunting knife. That's a just full-blown unfortunate soul that's funny <laughs> i love isa guys they can be very very silly oh yeah so disney news now moana moana the live action moana movie has found thomas kale uh he's going to be the director of the film he is the director of the hamilton stage show hmm. okay sure okay um he's he did tv show episodes so this will be his first feature Right on. That's a big, uh, big upgrade. I love it. Yeah, there's a Lin Manuel Miranda connection there because he wrote the music for Moana, so mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And Dwayne is like, "Get me that guy." It's really like a wild card. Like I don't know, it could go either way. This could be a really bad directing mm-hmm. choice, or this could be great. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like Hamilton's a stage show. There's not a lot we can judge no. based off that. Like, it, there's some amount of like needing to know how to construct the shots and everything, but like. Lin Manuel Miranda already, you know, composed something that visually looks good. You're just deciding where the what the camera should. Also, this is a big since it's live action, a big, huge, expensive blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, if the Disney live action remakes have shown us anything, it's like the director can mean something or can mean nothing at all. Yeah, this is this is a wait and see for that trailer kind of thing. Uh, Is um the girl who directed the woman who directed uh, the producers the only other stage stage? director to film director in the modern era well i don't know enough to That's say that. julie tamor julie tamor who directed the lion king directed across the universe the beatles movie yeah the producers too yeah. oh she did the producers it's, it's, it's julie, oh, yeah. i have no idea that's fantastic that's why i was pointing yeah. you yeah, it's, it's no, julie tamor. Julie no tamor. i think i think uh i think she's the most prominent for sure i'm sure but there's, I, I'm sure there's like small indie movies and stuff i love the producers by the way i love that movie um yeah, we like it I think yeah. this is probably a lot more common in Britain, to be honest with you. Possibly. Anyway, that was a stupid topic to get onto. I yeah. Anyway, we can wait and see. Hamilton's yeah. a good show. Who knows? Yep. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur has cast Edward James Olmos as Molecule Man in the second season. Love it. Just just glad that there's a second season coming. That's all. Mm-hmm. Love it, baby. Very Love different uh, design for Molecule Man, uh, which is is very cool. Love yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Some layoffs happened over at Disney. I thought we should specifically mention. Specifically at Pixar? Just specifically at Pixar, correct, Sparks. 75 people, excuse me, 75 people have been laid off from Pixar, including Angus McLean and Galen Sussman, 
those of you who don't know, Galen Sussman is the the historic uh, story of the per- he's, they they are the person who saved Toy Story two. It was on their server on and uh, off site when they deleted the whole movie at Pixar and they saved that movie. That's crazy. The exact reason for these layoffs is not clear, but there's been speculation in the industry that it is because of light years underperformance and bad critical reception. Possible, yeah, the, I guess. Specifically, McLean and uh, Sussman are both from Toy Story 2. McLean was working uh, as one of the like lead animators for Buzz and then mm-hmm. as the director for Lightyear. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so maybe. But the fact that like these historical Pixar figures were laid off. Did they announce on the Toy Story movie too? Is really, yes. Yes. It's really insane to me. Um, and I think I'm most bothered by this because like there is a, there is a lot of industry talk, regardless of if it's about light or not. It's just in general, a disappointment with Pixar's latest performance. And I'm like, well, what did you expect? You put four of their movies on Disney plus without charging anything for them and didn't give them a theatrical release. And I feel like Disney is just like super, super like shoved them down into a position that's so hard for them to get out from. Yeah. And then Lightyear being the first one that got to go back to theaters and it underperformed their expectations. I'm like, this was also still when people were still tepid about like you canceled turning red going to theaters be- just a few months before because of COVID coming back around. Like y- y- you're hanging this all on Lightyear. I'm not saying Lightyear would have done stellar, but like if Pixar was still a ma- name on their lips, if turning red had come out a few months before, would Lightyear have done better? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. I'll be honest. Also like, of all, like all those movies got went to Disney plus. I think they're all better than Lightyear. Oh yeah. No, I think so too. The, the problem is that like, it was such a choice decision. We've talked about this before where yeah. like, we don't understand what they were doing. Why was Disney plus doing this to Pixar and putting them in this position? Because it wasn't just that their products were going to Disney plus only. It's that they were the only ones who, when they were doing it, weren't getting the charge fee on top of it. The Marvel Mulan did. Yeah. Jungle Cruise did. Black Turning Man. Red didn't. Black Widow. Yeah. Mulan. Yeah. This doesn't make sense. It never made sense. And so like Disney coming around and being like, Pixar, you're underperforming. We're going to fire 75 people is a little like, what are you doing? It's the Eric Andre meme of he shoots Pixar and like, Pixar, why are you underperforming? Absolutely. 100%. Like Disney set them up for failure. Who knows why? It doesn't make sense. We know Pixar has been unhappy about this. It's so frustrating. Word. I'm so frustrated for these people who have like done so much for this company and thus transitionally for Disney as a whole. I'm curious Um, about Elemental too, because I personally... Think it looks totally fine right so i'm curious how I, well that gonna do. honestly to be perfectly honest with y'all elemental is the first pixar movie in a very long time that i am not chomping at the bit to go see in theaters i'm hoping those reviews will change my mind but like right now i'm just like I, man i, I hope so, i hope so too but i've been out watching the i see the trailers i'm like i mean it's pixar i know it's gonna elemental, be good but elemental came elemental was shown at um the place indiana jones was shown at Capitan. Cons. Cans. Cans. Cons. Cons. Um, Cons. Um, <laughs> so the uh, and so Elemental and Indiana Jones and there was a post afterwards because they were both terribly received at, con- at cons. Um, oh, no. And someone was like, boy, Disney really misread cons. Yeah. Well, it's also like, yeah, it's true. Um, who knows? We'll see. I, also, you can't tell me that Disney doesn't give it, like, clearly gives no shits about elemental because they're putting it up against the flash yeah they are like why would you do that there are open weeks that have less competition there's one right before indiana jones now granted indiana jones is also their movie but what are you doing why are you competing with the flash maybe they don't maybe again maybe it's a pixar thing where it's like we're just gonna drop it 
but I wonder, I, like, like Sparks, like, like Sparks, like I just I don't get why Pixar has been. I'm just saying, like they're not giving Pixar any advantages. No, I. They're I putting know. them. Yeah. They're putting them in the lowest possible option for success all the time right now. It's rude. When like the, it is like Pixar is like was their bread and butter for a long time of like the best stuff was coming from Pixar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really yeah. weird. Yeah, maybe they're jealous because all the best stuff came from Pixar, and they're like, "Ha ha!" Now we win. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, you're so right, Grayson. It does it does hurt so much when you work so hard for a company and they show no loyalty. Um, you can be this is an important lesson for everyone. You can be at a corporation for thirty years, they'll don't trust them. It's true. They won't nope. have your back. It's true. Nope. Anymore. Nope. I I honestly, <clears throat> quick tangent. I have actually had um conversations with people in management the decent ones at my work. And I straight up told them, I don't trust a single person in management. The thing, first thing they say when they, when I tell them that good, don't everyone lies. Everybody lies. Secret invasion. Okay. Comics news for Disney star Wars specifically. So as we know, the dark droids, uh, uh, kind of epic crossover is happening in star Wars soon. Uh, in, a new miniseries has been announced from Mark Guggenheim and Salva Espin and David uh, Messina. Mark Guggenheim, we know him. Cool guy. Sure. Happy for him. Got to get those jobs during the writer's strike because comic book writers are on a strike. That's true. Um, so he's writing a, a new miniseries called Star Wars Dark Droids D-Squad. If those of you, For those of you who may not remember the Clone Wars episode, the D-Squad, um, that is a, a squad of droids that was uh created by r2d2 um and did like and did like a mission in clone wars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so r2d2 is returning bringing back the d squad but a different one um with the exception of uh whack 47 who is a pit droid um that was part of the original d squad so r2d2 takes uh ig88 for lom uh bt bt1 uh the the homicidal Dr. Afra Astromech mm-hmm. and Triple Zero, the homicidal Dr. Afra uh, Protocol Droid. The Protocol, Protocol Droid. Red Eyes. And Chopper. Oh, uh, you, got me. you got me on this one. <laughs> I saved the best for last because Chopper has joined the D Squad. Chopper and R2D2 in one comic? Hello. Four Lums, <laughs> a cool droid. He's a cool black droid. He's got two. Uh, that's, a, that's a cool team. That's a cool, that's a cool droid team. Yeah. Um, so this will be a this, this, there's a there's what's called the um, I have it here it's the um, the scourge, which is happening throughout the galaxy that's turning droids bad. Um, so Archidish is going to be like, hey, I'm a droid that's still good. I'm going to take other droids that are good, and we're going to go fight this. And it's, it's, it's described be- as like an adventure romp. So the guardians of the droidixy. Yeah, I'm actually really interested in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this event. I think it's a it's a cool idea. Fast and Furious news. Meow. Dwayne Johnson is returning to the role of Hobbs for a new spinoff film. We knew that. Get your well, underwear on. Get your underwear on. We didn't know the we didn't know the new spinoff film. That's new information told to us from Dwayne Johnson himself. Hey hey. Um, this is not considered a sequel to Hobbs and Shaw. However, Chris Morgan, who wrote uh, Fast Three through Eight and Hobbs and Shaw, is writing this. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes me excited. Okay. Um, and he also wrote Shazam Fury of the Gods. Just thought I'd throw that in there. That's like the one non Fast and Furious film he wrote. It's not, the worst, not bad. Movie. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, and they're calling it Fast X.5. 
Shut your mouth. <laughs> well, no, that's not what they're calling it, but like okay. that's what they're <laughs> internally like like okay, this is this is not Fast Eleven. This is not a spin-off film. Technically, this is we're going from Fast X where we left Fast X, we're doing an in-between movie, and then we're going to Fast Eleven. It's the Marvel movie before like Endgame or Infinity War. Got yes. it. I was now like, this... my God, Fast and Furious is going so off the rails that they're using the Kingdom Hearts name. I was about convention. to say a 10.2 point. Yeah. I mean, well, I would you surprised. really put it past them with the titles? No. Um, the thing is, like, what, what shook me about this, and I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but I thought initially when they were making the Fast X films that they were making them back to back which I realized at some point stopped being the case, I think because of the director changing. Yes. But even with that being the case, I still figured we were going to start work on part two pretty quickly. This makes it sound like we're probably actually a little ways further from that. And I find that really interesting in general right now, because, you know, there's three part ones hitting this year mm -hmm. in a big way. And they're, we're talking about one of them today. We're talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning later. Both of those were done back to back. We are getting the part twos of those next year. Yep. That's, that's a fact. Uh, Fast X. Well, they now have to write and develop and film a Hobbes film, which they can't do right now. So it's going to be a while. Yeah. I also assumed at least the first two were done. And then like, Oh, the second one was so big. We had to cut it off to make a third one. But like, no, like, once Justin Lin left, like, like, no, we have to start over on that next one. Yeah. Which, again, it makes sense. Like, again, the Louis, Louis Leterrier, the director of Fast 10, like, he came in two weeks before production. Like, that is an insane feat. For that sure. movie came out as well as it did in, in terms of, like, production for one person. So, like, you need a director on a big movie like that to have as much pre-production as possible. So, like, if you need to squeeze another movie in to give them time, sure. Also, like Spark said, there's a writer's strike, so this isn't going to come out for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's possible he already wrote the script, so they're working true, with a draft. True. Could have been just sitting, sitting, waiting in case Twain ever came back. Um, so I find that I find that unlikely, only because like the odds that that wouldn't have gotten leaked sure. earlier about like a Dwayne Johnson project or something like that. Like enough people would have had to known that was in the pipeline that I feel like we would have heard about Dwayne Johnson probably coming back, even if we didn't hear about like specifically a spinoff film for him. Because they said they squashed it. Because they said they squashed the beef last summer. Right. So it's been a year now that they've been developed that they this has been in the works. So I would not put it past them that Chris Morgan has already written that script in this time. Um, but the Fast X Part Two is written by a completely different team that wrote Fast X Part One. Well, that makes sense because Justin Lin was the main writer for Fast X Part One, and he's not going to be around anymore. Right. Yeah. And so it's Christina Hodgson who did Birds of Prey and Bumblebee. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I like, I like facts. I like enough movies. to be excited for the next one. I like the, I like, um, Bumblebee and Birds of Prey. So yeah, uh, so yeah, so like, like you know, that's, that's interesting. Um, I only want Hobbs and Shaw to be, a, uh, I only want the new Hobbs movie to be a sequel in the terms of I want them to, continue to pursue whatever they were teasing up. There's, a, there's a digital like there's bad a whole guy, other man. bad guy out there. Whether it's Keanu or Tom Cruise. Ooh. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see where this goes. This if is really it, interesting. This it, is happening. Yeah. I would rather see like those things all mixed together for the fine finale. They have to. Like the Fast X franchise. It only makes sense for, for the franchise. For the family. I just looked up the release date for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2, by the way, because I didn't know it was actually next year. Um, I completely forgot that we were not waiting because I remembered Fast X is like, Fast X Part 2 is like 2025 or something. And yeah. I forgot that we're getting the next Mission Impossible next year. 
Yeah, that's uh, because Macquarie and and Cruz like debt committed to we're just doing it all in one big go. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the reasons why they were they were a prominent production that was pushing forward with the COVID stuff is because like they really couldn't delay because they had so much to do. So like the moment that they could put the safety stuff up, you know, that's that's why they did it. That's why Tom Cruise had his whole freak out. He's like, you have like we have so much on the line. You have to take this stuff seriously. Um, they were filming that movie for three years. Right. Because they were filming two movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's Lord of the Rings style. Baby. But like but but, you know, I I think we all feel more comfortable with the the anticipation and wait from this film that we're going to talk about in a bit uh because we know the next one's next year we're not waiting another three to five years yeah they're just polishing Um, that bad boy right now. so it is it is kind of surprising to me i get i get like the director changing but just like that fast x who knows how far away that really is going to be yeah yeah um well to figure out what happens to dom after the mm, Oh gosh, I hope Dwayne stays committed and like if the Hobbs movie flops, he just doesn't just decide to throw a hissy fit and say, "Now I'm done with the Fast franchise too." No, <laughs> I think the last because I, I I think he's got nothing left to offer. So he's he's got Red Notice, the most popular Netflix movie of all time. Ryan Look, Hobbs is a great character for him. It is, and like if he can just be down to play, then he can. Then that's great. I think people will turn out for it. I miss him busting out of cast. I'm happy he's back. I don't buy the rumors that Vin and jason are are beefing i don't know i i don't care <laughs> um, i get you i get you i just am i'm like mostly, if they are whatever mostly because i'd, I'd hate this just the next movie uh he's not in it it's just it's a different villain they just a new villain they just swift they, they they got the hobbs but they have to get rid of the shaw so, so, yeah. so you uh, you might lose people if momoa is not in like in the next one, like if they Vin just found. Oh, I thought you meant and like Statham. No, no. no. If, if Vin found a way to be petty and take Momo out, I'm like, he, hell no. So the whole rumor thing is that like Vin's mad because like he feels like he's stealing his thunder with being like the favorite thing from Fast X, and I'm like, dude, just be happy you have a villain that everybody loves. Be happy like, this yeah. isn't a, like people don't hate the movie. People people were on the line of like being tired with the franchise, and he gave it the shot in the arm it needed. Just be happy that that happened. Like it's true. If that is true, which yeah. I who knows. Thread, an Insidious Tale, is apparently a movie that is coming. Mm. Uh, this is going to be a spinoff of Insidious, um, starring Kamel Nanjiani and Mandy Moore. Oh. Um, this is going to be directed by Jeremy Slater, who developed uh, Moon Knight and the Umbrella Academy, who's a writer for them. Um, he will. This will be his feature, his first directing job, his feature debut, and his first directing job. Cool. Interesting. This movie will be about a husband and wife who enlist the help of a spell to travel back in time such that they can prevent the death of their young daughter. The consequences, Mm. of course, prove to be severe. Oh, yeah. Yep. Go back and change. That's really cool. I don't know why this has to be Insidious related. Yeah. Yeah. Bagul is sinister. I just like like saying Bagul. Remind me, isn't Insidious about the Antichrist, or is that something completely different? That's not. That's nope. not Insidious. What are no. you thinking of? The Antichrist? No, no. I think it's a movie called The Antichrist. It's a, it's a movie with Damien where he had like the, the, the Omen. The Omen. That's it. That's what I, I don't know. Why. <laughs> National I Treasure. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the Omen's good. The original. Oh, the remake's okay. Yeah, it's not bad. It's fine. Uh, How to Train a Dragon live-action film has cast its Hiccup and Astrid. Ooh. Uh, Mason Thames from The Black Phone, he's a little boy, he gets kidnapped in the beginning, um, will be the whole movie. He'll be Hiccup, and Mike and, and Nico Parker 
from Dumbo and most recently The Last of Us uh, will be Astrid. So I still like honestly don't really care for this movie, but I think this is really good casting. That's really that, good uh, casting. Uh, the Black Phone. I've only, that, that's the only movie I've seen of this kid, but that kid's really, really good, and he's really like he's got the emotions. Like that dude's crying. Like he's a really good actor. Take oh, your yeah. guys' word for it. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I for, we should we should watch it. That's really good, dude. Uh, but uh, Nico Parker also incredible talent. Oh, you know, hundred percent. Tandaway Newton, uh, uh, jeans descended. She's awesome. So uh, this is, you know, it's, it's really it's, good it's, casting. I just wish that they weren't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. At least you know, like the acting will be good. At least that's nice. Yeah, it's a plus one. You know, maybe that trailer will be like different enough. But like until did now, you guys, like... did you guys see the 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 little behind the scenes snippet of Halle Bailey on top of people walking, like yes. just kind of shuffling? Those are sea turtles in the movie, and it is it is just it is that boring. Mm. Yeah, it looked pretty bad. <laughs> so they, they don't spice it up. It it's it's it is that boring. I just like guys just like they're on their knees just shuffling. I'm like. <laughs> Oh, the wonders of technology. So anyway, that's what I hope this isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we get something interesting. I, I, at this point, I'm very much like outside of like the bare bones of who Hiccup is, why he connects with Toothless and all that. I'm, I'm very much at like the way you win me over is if this is fundamentally a different story. Yeah. 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 Like I just, I'm just not interested in watching the same thing again in live action. I'm just not, you will never, ever be as good as the as the original animated film you just won't and and we are now you know like i would say like the dragon genre of movies it's not something we get all the time but i feel like you know house of the dragons back you know there's all the dragon things around like i don't i i don't i don't feel like i need this to satisfy my dragon nerds like i need something new dinosaur related uh you know what i mean like i feel like i get more i get more dragon shit than i get dinosaur stuff unfortunately what are you talking about we just had 65 oh my god you know what we just had i only need dragons maybe and we just had house of the dragon <laughs> that's what i'm saying yeah rings of power i know i'm naming oh like oh, all the dragon related things you're right about dungeon and dragons dungeons. dragons, yeah, dungeons and dragons. The title look at that dragons winning 2020 yeah, uh, the Lord... not too much. i mean we start top of the meg does the meg count as a dinosaur yeah hey, yes if we if we count the meg and prehistoric planet not a bad year for dinosaurs there you I go mean, this okay. also might be a stretch, but the Lord of the Rings magic set is about to drop, so I'm no. pretty sure Smog is one of the one of the dragons you can no. get. Doesn't count. Uh, damn it. Yo, we're, that... ta we're talking movies and television, but you know, right. full respect to the magic Lord of the Rings set. It looks cool. It yeah, it, I love uh, that Aragorn. Yeah, dude. I love a lot Making of the, the elves. I'm just like I can't uh, afford this. I oh, it makes me so mad that I want to spend money on this. And there's and a Doctor Who one coming around the corner too. I saw that one. I still. Go down saw... and look at the Warhammer ones. Yeah. Here's my here's I, I have my Godzilla ones right here. Remember? Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll stop. I won't say it. All right, trailers. Oh Team. man, we're here. Talk. Silent Hill Ascension. So I first saw this on my phone on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then I rewatched it with Sparks, and I noticed that it's being co-developed by Behavior, and those are the makers of Dead by Daylight, a fantastic multiplayer game. They're not known for like story even though like you know Dead by Daylight has lore and stuff but like this is a like telltale-esque horror adventure like click click uh uh point and click it's gonna type be a series and it's gonna be like a series you know like episodic or whatever it is so like that's really cool like the the visually it looks really nice um you, they got all the monsters you'd want the the thing about Silent Hill is um every game it's about a specific character and the traumas and the the shit they go through so monsters are like specific to characters and over the years Silent Hill has just become a rogues gallery of hey look at all the cool monsters we have so hopefully this this can like zone in on that more because you know this is just totally story based yeah um but like pyramid head shows up like of course you have to like he's he's 
he's tied to one character, but then he just became the guy who shows up and everything because he's cool looking. And that kind of sucks. Just, but, just you know. from this trailer, just watching it, like this is no slight and it's a little bit of a snake eating its own tail. And I, I realize that as I'm saying it, it gave me a lot of Evil Within vibes visually from it. Now, Evil Within is also pulling inspirations from silent hill so like you know yeah. that's what i mean by it's a snake eating its own tail of course it should but like that that was a lot of the like visual visual vibe i was getting but like it's hard to say and who knows what this game will be exactly um i'm hoping for the best though i mean it does definitely like hey it looks like silent hill you know you have the you have the the, the town that goes into the dark world you have all the monsters you have like sadness so like it looks like silent hill like you're ticking the boxes but like again will it be good like behavior it makes multiplayer games they don't make like story driven games that have no multiplayer so like it's gonna be interesting an interesting experiment that yeah. i hope i hope is good because like i i want more silent hill yeah if it looks like uh, silent hill and talks like silent hill is it silent hill yes it, you know it's like um it's like uh uh choose your own adventure like the, your choices decide the where the story goes yeah, yeah like like a telltale like we you know walking yeah. dead guardians uh, a wolf among us kind of... justified city primeval this is just nice to have because it's just something you know never thought that would come out i used to be a huge justified fan i don't know why but i fell off halfway through season three i don't know it's because i was in college or because i just missed a week and i didn't i I don't know what it was but i like the those first two seasons are justified it was just great like going on to fx and watch i had sons of anarchy and i had justified i absolutely adored when sons wasn't on justified was on and vice versa it was great and the fact that Raylan Givens is back, uh, Timothy Olfen is back as Raylan Givens, I'm like, man, you were born to play this role. I didn't know you, you were. I, I will admit, Ben, I'm a little sad that you didn't get all the way through Justified before this happened because there was genuine tension in the last season of like, are they going to kill Raylan? Like, you, you really go into the last episode thinking this might be this might be it for Raylan. And they, they really build up the whole season to like, there's two guys, there's Raylan and another guy, and, like, you know eventually they're going to have a shootout and one of them is going to die. And, like, is it going to be Raylan? It might be. Um, and they did a good job with that. So, but but even with saying that, there's not a bad season of Justified. It's worth going back to if you ever want to. Um, the show stayed strong throughout. It's going to be interesting to watch a Justified without Walton Goggins now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I'll admit, is, like, a big chunk of the reason I like the show. Uh-huh. Timothy Dude. Oliphant is another... But no, like the two of them Goggs, together, dude, he's he's like electrifying on that. Show. I remember specifically, I think it was for season three, then um, maybe season four, that they released a promo, and um, it was of like Raylan having like a shootout behind some trees, and then he's like looking over and he's looking over and he's looking over, and then he comes around the tree to like go attack the guys, but so does Walton Goggins' character Boyd, and so it's both of them running forward, and I was I like, this that. is Goku and Vegeta and Country. <laughs> this is a hundred percent parallel. I remember, you know what? I remember. Seeing- that promo and i go and i just like i'm like what because obviously like season one and two they're like they're in season one walton gongs is the main villain of the, of the season Bad and boy. then season two is that we have a different villain um it's the mom who it's the lady who played the mom in um yeah, Dewey cox oh uh, yeah walk hard Dewey cox, plays which, right? dad from yeah, I, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah that, that's why that movie is extra special i mean i love that season of Justice High yeah. Season 2, especially like the ending when she poisons her own glass. I'm just like, oh. Ben, now that I know that you've even watched maybe one Justified, maybe we maybe we do a review special just because like I really want to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I need to think, just think about it. Justified, Justified yeah. is a ton of fun. I'm really excited about this. Um, we got Boyd Holbrook 
coming to be the the enemy to Raylan for this one. He's great. Um, it is cool to see Raylan in the city environment. We've gotten yeah. glimpses of it before in the old show, but we were mostly staying out in the country. Yeah. Um, he's a country boy. So so seeing it in the city. Um, in Detroit. Well, because well, that was the whole thing. Is like Raylan had left that life. Like he was going home. Is like what's happening in Justified. And he'd been in Miami and he'd been doing all city stuff That's for right. a while. And now he was getting pulled back to home to the country. And so now we're seeing him go back to the environment he prefers. Um, but uh, so other fun fact, Ben is uh, the girl playing his daughter. That's Timothy Oliphant's real life daughter. Oh. Um, it's it's her first gig. Uh, so that that'll be interesting to see. But like everything looks promising here. Um, I really like the look of it. I really like the cast. I just, I'm, I'm I just, happy to go back to the character. Yeah. Timothy Oliphant's incredible and magnetic as uh, Raylan. Yeah, I just he's I just really like Timothy Oliphant as an actor. Like, and I just like I like I don't see everything he's in, but like he's always like one of my favorite things in anything that he is in. Yeah, movies. like, like when you when you see Timothy Oliphant, you go, oh hey, that guy. But now, thankfully, I think a star has risen a bit more, so it's like, oh hell yeah, Timothy Oliphant's in this. Ma'am, yeah. absolutely. And the man can rock a cowboy hat. God damn. Sure. Yeah. Justified's real good. Hidden Strike. I know this movie's probably going to be just kind of okay. Yeah. I know this. Yeah. But maybe, maybe it'll be kind of fun. Yeah. Uh I I like Jackie Chan and John Cena together. I think sure. that's I think that's just kind of a cool combo. I think there's some good beats here that I think in a better cut trailer probably would have played better. Yeah. Um I'm uh, we don't get a lot of what their dynamic is together, and I'm very curious to see it. I, this reminds me of like when we saw the clip of Arnold and Jackie Chan fighting in that other movie, mm -hmm. where that was like their only scene. But we know this is a whole movie featuring them, yeah. So like, I'm sure there's probably some good stuff going on. Um, it's also interesting because this movie was made a while ago. Yeah, it's just now was released. Shot. So like, John Cena was still in his wrestling career pretty deep. When yeah, this, guys, was this shot. movie was shot four years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah I have no faith in this movie whatsoever. Uh, yeah. It it has some funny stuff, but like the first line, I don't even remember, but like, I think it's a seatbelt line. I'm like, oh, this is the caliber of Jeff we're going for. Yeah. And I immediately knew this movie. Like, it's cool having these two people together. Like, I'm sure they will have fun banter, but it's absolutely like, this looks like the movie from the director of the Expendables 4 movie I don't even know existed. Yes. Sir. Yeah, what a wild way to find out Expendables 4 was coming out this year. Yeah, and like I forgot what the other movie this guy directed was that was above it, but like Need I, for Speed. Need for Yeah, so I I'm just like I I did see mm -hmm. I did see uh, other people making pretty good comments about um ah, so this is the green screen AI generated background feature films that um uh the tech bros want yeah. for the future. This and like these types of movies come out all the time, but like this is a one of those movies where it's like a joint synergy, like you know, like a, like 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 uh, China and America making like this movie. There's like it's mostly another cast, and John Cena's here as like the American guy. And I'm like, these generally those movies don't turn out very good because they're just kind of like cheap. Uh, we're gonna make a quick action movie with some stars, and like I, guys, I love Jackie Chan. Like he's not the same star that he was. Like he's not making huge blockbuster movies like he used to. And again, it's not me discrediting him, but like this looks like a straight to DVD movie. I'm being honest. Yeah. It looks like a straight to DVD movie. Again, no, those, those can be Absolutely. fine. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be like if I watch this, like like I smoke a little dube and watch this on a Saturday night. I'm sure I'll have a fine time. But like, I wouldn't go see this in the theater. Or oh no, of course not. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah I'm on the same vibe train as you. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, it'd be cool if like there is some really cool I'm chemistry between the two of them. The director gets me no. Um, no. I I remain waiting for Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson to reteam for a third. Shanghai. Yes, we were just talking about that. Yeah, that's what I, I think they like. are, aren't they? That we the, the rumor's been there forever, but I don't know if it's actually like concrete made. Mm. Yeah, I want it though. Um. Yeah. All right. 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And this movie looks great. I that that first trailer was so good, and this one was like, oh wow, all the villains really are. My oh, wife shit. turned to me at the trailer before Spider Verse today and was like, man, that, that looks really really good. And I'm like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And the greatest, not the greatest thing, but like one of the coolest things is like I thought this was like Sony thing because Sony has like mm-hmm. they've like they've really turned a corner on animation and with a lot of shit. And like, no, this is a Paramount movie. And I'm like, yeah. oh man, people are adopting. Like, oh, we can be inventive and do really cool shit in animation. Ooh, Paramount. Paramount. Transformers, don't disappoint me, please, because then please not. That subscription, will, that subscription will be worth it. Um, I think this looks just incredible. Like all the humor worked for me. Like the the voice acting seems for the kids. Like they're actually kids, which is like really fun. Yeah. Uh, they're actually ninjas. Like they're actually ninjas too. They're actually, which is really... they're actually all the words that their name is, which is really fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We get we get a yeah. sneak peek. Uh, a vis- we hear more, but we visually get to see like Jackie Chan's Splinter. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah, call him. Don't say the word rat. It's a cool interpretation. I'm excited. I I, I think I I'm really it. excited about the idea of them discovering other mutants and it immediately being a problem yeah um and like that's really cool there's more of us but we're not all friendly yeah yeah um i mean you guys you mentioned it earlier sparks about um don't say rat like when leo does rat him out they're like you rat us out he's like hey don't use that word mag just literally said it right there in in the chat hey mag um and even like just the fact like yeah, Ryan also said they're everything that their title is. They're teenage ninja turtles, and like when they're just talking, it's like, "What do you want to do?" It's like, "Oh, go to high school," and all these things like teenagers want to do. So it's like, I'll, I I want to highlight this about this trailer, which is that compared to the previous one, we see so much more of environments and characters in motion and things like that. So we're really getting a, a, a even more of a feast for the eyes of what this animation is going to look like. This animation's really really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, this is not. This is not, it's obviously like Spider-Verse has changed animation, but this is not like just trying to do what Spider-Verse is doing. No, it's, it's doing something, it's something of different. Its um, it's, it's, it's using similar like baseline ideas of tools, but like it's doing its own thing. And I think what it's doing is really, really cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it feels very much. What, what I really like about the advent of this technology mm-hmm. is that I've not seen two movies look the same. The bad guys doesn't look like Puss in Boots. This doesn't look like Spider-Verse. Like uh, Mitchell's versus the machine doesn't look like this. Like yeah. it feels very much like this variety entering into this art space that we haven't quite seen in a while. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, and I think part of what it is, is that I was thinking about this when, um, because also the latest trailer for the, um, teenage kraken movie ruby ruby kraken um uh, that played and what i was thinking about is that like we're going back to something i think pixar did really well with 3d animation that no other studio ever matched is making diverse and interesting looking characters i think the perfect example is the monsters series monsters inc monsters university compare just the average like extra extra character in the background of that to the gilman series right like in the film like they all look the same and in monsters nobody looks the same like they're always so uh unique in the way that they're designed and i think 3d films that aren't pixar have gotten very like you really like if it's not a main feature character or sometimes even if it is they get very pared down to like stylistically being the same thing kind of copying the character model and making some changes yeah and that happens a lot and i think because of the 2d base in this animation style with mutant mayhem with puss in boots with mitchell's versus the machines spider-verse uh 
you're encouraged for imagination even before the character modeling would happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's opened it back up to being like far, far greater in like what can this look like? Uh, Mag's got a good point. The grimy art style. Yeah, I. It, it like you see like every single brushstroke. Like mm -hmm. it, honestly, you know, it reminds me of of like a a, a much more. Uh, the, the the latest scenes of the Clone Wars, it's like a much like that's more subtle version where you can see the brush like the brush strokes on every character's face, and this is a much more exaggerated where like you really see it, but in like not a negative way where it's right. like it just it's so unique and it's just like man like this and Spider Verse coming out this year, I'm like damn like damn, this looks really good. I'm really excited. It about does. This Me too. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Shall we get into our main topic then? We are talking about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Full spoilers. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Full spoilers for this movie. If you have not seen this movie, you know, do the, you know, the whole spiel. Pause it. Whatever you want to do to go see this movie. Go do it before you listen to us. Uh, full spoilers. You have been warned. So let's get into it real quickly. Directed by Joaquin DeSantos, who directed Voltron and The Legend of Korra. Uh, Kemp Powers, who was co-director on Soul, and Justin Justin K. Thompson. Sorry, I couldn't read my handwriting for a second. Um, were the three directors for this one, and then it was written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, um, with uh, with Dave Callahan, who wrote Shang Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, Mortal Kombat, Wonder Woman 1984, Doom. Got quite the. Wait, what was the last one you said? Doom. 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 2005's Doom? Yes. Man, he's really had enough swing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's a co-writer on this one. So, okay, so let's get right into it. What do you think? Ben, you want to go first? Sure. I All right, I'll go. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just... I want to start a lot of, like, immediately hit the ground wing with what I want to rate this movie, but I absolutely love it. This when people have been saying that this is like the absolute best Spider-Man film ever made thus far, it, there was no hyperbole there. I cannot praise this movie enough on how beautiful it is on how the story hits you like in the gut. There's a lot of great emotional beats and there's a lot of things like, yeah, this is miles story, but other characters get the spotlight specifically Gwen Stacy. It is. This is one of those things where, this is truly a comic book film where I feel like I'm looking at a comic book and the pages are coming to life before me on screen. I absolutely adore this movie. There's a reason why I'm putting this like right now it's number two on my top 10 Zelda ekes it out just a bit, but Holy crap across the Spireverse is absolutely amazing. I would absolutely love to go see it again. This is fantastic. Spock Ryan. Yeah, it's really good. Really, really good. No, I uh, uh, there's a lot of hyperbole you can throw around, but like this really is a special movie, just like the first one. But like able to build on it and not only in include so many more animation styles and so many more characters and have it all balanced out so well, and you know, improving on the, the animation and uh, uh, the scope of the movie while all it still feels grounded in character because you know, it always comes down to character no matter, no matter how big your movie gets. Um, it was really, sh I'm really shocked that like they just they really pulled it off and like. And like to know that we're getting another one that will that will cement this is probably one of the greatest trilogies I've ever made. Uh, it, it's like it's I just want I want to throw around a lot of hyperbole, but like I don't need to because we all saw the movie. Right. Sparks. 
Uh, it's spectacular, spectacular Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> I I loved it. I I laughed. I cried. I oh, uh, like I had a great time. Um, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I only have one issue with it that 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 I can't get over. I was hoping to see it again uh, to see if I could, but as it stands right now, I just only have the one issue. But other than that, yeah. Great movie. Uh, so let's dive in. Where do we want to start? I guess we'll start with your one issue. Oh, I just don't think it's as tightly paced as the first film. Uh, I felt that I felt the first film, having watched them back to fact, the first film is very tight. It's paced well. It moves. It, it breathes. It, this one, I think, breathes too much in certain points. Now, mind you, I don't know what I'd cut. Probably nothing. I think everything in here services the story and is really good i just don't think it's as tight as the first one that's really i'll it. tell you I'll, I'll tell you what oh sorry ben i see you're gonna talk about it. no no i i actually kind of agree with that i'll i do agree that it isn't as tightly paced because when i saw the runtime for his movie i was very surprised but the spider verse is also a two-hour long movie and it works or the first spider verse excuse me into a spider verse is tightly paced for a two and a half hour flick you don't really feel the runtime oddly enough i do remember feeling the runtime a bit in this movie but i wasn't annoyed because there are times where you feel the runtime of a of a film, and you just go, "Oh God, when is this going to end?" But this one is like, okay. But with this one, I'm watching it, and there's a point in the movie where I'm like, "Okay, I've been sitting here for a while now. I wonder if we're going to the end point." But at the same time, I don't want it to end. Yeah. Now I'm not saying making it longer would have, would have improved it. I just I'm I am agreeing with Brandon that it's not. I mean, there are maybe a few pacing issues, but at the same time, those pacing issues didn't really take me out of the film, but I do acknowledge that they're there. And also, I agree. I don't know what to cut, to be perfectly honest. I'll tell you, uh, I also, uh, uh, and I compared it to uh, Return of the King, the Sparks, after I saw it, but uh, I don't have a problem with the pacing until the, actually the end of the movie. The last 20 minutes for me feels like and this isn't a negative like i think all of it's great but it's like it feels like it's kind of dragging its feet to get to the big reveal like the last 20 minutes once miles kind of put back where he is it takes a long time and a lot of a lot of like we're revisiting this character where they ended we're revisiting this character and for like three separate times i thought the movie was going to end but it kept going and again none of it's bad i'm just like man it it's i thought this movie was going to end like three separate times um yeah. and i like the i like again i like i, I like the cliffhanger that we do leave on but i thought there was three separate cliffhangers that we were going to be left on uh, yeah. So like I agree, but I don't particularly like. It's not like a like. A, it still looks better than any movie I've ever seen in my life. So like I can't complain too hard, you know. Kind of uh, I'll jump in on that and say that I, I agree a bit with Ryan about like um, the the endings, uh, the ending of the movie and and where that falls. I uh, don't have a problem with the pacing in the sense that like I recognize that it ha it is not as tightly paced as the first one. I uh, give it some leeway, I guess because the first one is telling a singular story and this is telling a part one story. I know it's not called part one, but we know it. We know it's a part one story. And to me, it feels like part of the reason they decided to go for a part one, part two is because they decided that a lot of the character beats we spend a lot of time with in the early half of this movie, especially like the fact how long it takes for us to actually roll into what the story is about is pretty surprising. It's a long time. For an average film. Yeah. But I do think the point of it is that all of those things had to be there or the next movie's not going to hit. Yeah. And obviously we don't know that for a fact, but I'm suspecting that's the case. Is that like and I and I kind of appreciate it because like uh, rewatching into the Spider-Verse one thing I that like Okay, thanks Emma. Um one <laughs> thing that does <laughs> Jesus, she just threw my iPad on the floor. Um <laughs> 
one thing uh, that really does like jump out to me as like uh, I wanted more of is specifically Miles' mom. I'll say mm. in Into the Spider Verse, mm -hmm. it's a very father son story. It's a very masculine focused story. That's not a problem, but it is something that when we come to this film, I did want more of that presence. And not, and I would say this is a very much like more balanced film. Certainly giving in more of a female perspective because it's not just his mom, but also Gwen. And you get so much more of that in the front half of this film, which I think is important and is important for the character arcs of Miles, but also those other characters around him for where we're going and for what this movie's saying it's doing. So for me, it all kind of evens out as like, yeah, this is pace, This is not paced like your usual film would be. It, it's paced like a part one. Um, but for me, it works. I, I'm kind of jiving with it. Like the, the, the fact that we did spend as much time as we did with Gwen before we even hit a tile card honestly amazed me. And I, I was just enthralled with it. Nothing makes me happier than a late title card. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. Especially so after I'm that scene, especially after that scene, like that entire sequence of Gwen, and you see like where she hides her 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 own police radio, and where she hides her costume and every like in the drum set, and even if it's just the opening where she's playing the drums and narrating it, and the the drum beat just constantly gets faster and faster, and more uh, more aggressive, and it's just oh. Like the like ten seconds like or not ten seconds ten minutes in especially when we get her dressed up and I love the ballet shoes and when she goes out to fight the vulture I'm just like this is like the best Spiderman movie I've ever seen and oh you only mean Shakespeare? like ten fifteen Shakespeare vulture yeah so Shakespeare vulture I just want to put a cap on my thoughts on the pacing thing before I move on to what is my favorite part of the movie I I agree with what all of you were saying but I also kind of disagree because like as Ben said I did feel the length of the film which is not something I can say about a lot of films especially animated movies. Which is why I wanted to see it again, because now that I know kind of the pacing of the film, would I be more prepared for it? Uh, maybe I wasn't exactly prepared for it in the beginning. But as Ryan said, what's very important is that you never want, and Ben said a little bit, you never want the movie to end because it's so pretty to look at. No matter what you're looking at, no matter what the pacing is, you're looking at a work of art. And that's what this movie is, quite frankly. Now, Ben, sorry to go into it, so if it's okay, I want to talk about the opening scene with Gwen. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that's my favorite part of the movie. Not a slight on the rest of the movie. I but I really like Gwen Stacy as Spider Gwen. I a, a Spider Woman, Ghost Spider, whatever her name is at the to, to this day of the week. I've read all of her books. I bought her stupid miniseries because she doesn't have a current bond going right now, and that pisses me off. I sold her number one for two hundred fifty dollars to help me pay rent. There you go. I still have my number one. Um, uh, and, and so like I. So like I love I love I love her book I love the art style of the of the of the first series before Ghost Spider, um, and so like he, seeing that book literally come to life on screen with the, the the art style of her world very reminiscent of the art style in that comic, um, and her relationship with Captain Stacy um, and and everything like it it was just so special to me like I I I wanted I like. That made me excited when I heard the Spider Woman news. I'm like, yes, if it's anything like that, 20 minutes, uh, yeah. I'm I'm a hundred percent on board. Well, and I think you know it's going to come up a lot in this film, but the the commitment to you know the different animation styles of the characters from the first movie had always been like cool, but now we're going to the inner worlds and um, playing with different animation and not looking the same and, and giving this new look each time that we're passing into these new worlds, I think is really special. And, and Gwen's is a hell of a way to start it, especially with the overlaying panels of her doing the drums as she's thinking about uh, all this stuff. Um, and I really like the, 
uh, opening monologue we're getting mixed in with it of why and why I think this movie kind of gets away with its part one this a little better is because like this is very much a part one of a mile story right this is a full arc for Gwen though uh, right. Gwen Gwen is starting the film telling us that you know she feels like she hurt Miles in a way she can't make up for and the whole movie is us getting to that point and what she's going to do about it what decision she's going to make to do something about it yeah. and that if you argued like this movie's like through line that is the through line and then Miles has a through line through the two movies but like Gwen has a through line for this movie. And I think that was why it was so smart to focus on her, start with her, give her that point where mm -hmm. we know we're heading to something bad happening between the two of them <clears throat> and then getting there and also giving us like, it's one of the reasons I don't mind the ending kind of going to the length it does because it's, it's the, the two things that are very right about like what they do with Gwen at the end is her conversation with Miles' parents and her showing the decision of her like getting the gang together because they're going to go help miles mm -hmm. um and that that gives it a full circle whole thing um so i really really love the choice it, uh, yeah. starting on her was just so so smart oh, yeah. and you mentioned the mary janes and her kind of going through the um the 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 the, 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 the drums just going through her history what i really love about about that is then this is a little selfish i'll fully admit and the first film and in, into the spider-verse i actually just re-listened to this part and the review fun fact um where i mentioned i was like i know there's no room for it in into the spider-verse but i i do wish that we had more about gwen's history because she's dealing with a peter parker who's not hers who's not her own and how would that affect her we don't really see that effect in that movie and then we do in this movie. And so that was really exciting for me because I'm like, oh, they're doing it. And Jack Quaid plays her Peter, which is cute. Right. Uh, we see her the, the, a really cool design for the lizard. Um, and that whole event play out that led to Peter's death. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're this is just the comic. You're just you're just the backstory. Someone put this really well on a tweet. So the backstory of this movie is comic books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. This movie never, never fails. Like Ben said, like you're, it's like you're watching a, a comic book. Like it never fails. Like in between, like transitions, like when we're going to the next chapter of like throwing down a comic book with the cover that that they're gonna, like the 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 movie is referencing. Right? It is yeah. really, really cool. Like, and to, I just want to respond to what Brandon was saying. So real quick, like to Brandon's point of what he's saying, um, into the Spider Verse, not going into that a lot. Right? That's part of what kept that movie so tight. That was Miles' story. It was focused on Miles. It was focused on Miles' world. It's a very clear and very good story. It's a tight story. It's excellent. They, they tell it very well. It feels like there was an active decision because they knew they were giving themselves the room of two films, that they made a decision of, does this make the character richer if we leave it? Then we leave it. Mm -hmm. And so allowing moments to last and to languish and to live makes it feel like so many more people while we are thrown so many things in this movie, I feel so deeply connected to so many different characters in a way that, especially in an anime film, but in general, I don't think you get a lot when films throw this many characters at you. It's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to extrapolate on uh, Ryan's point about the whole comic book thing. I love it when they, you have comic book like references, or not like references from comic books, but things you see in comic books, like the little editor's boxes, that, that are sprinkled throughout the movie. Love, love it. Like the second, um, Oscar, um, excuse me, not well, it's Oscar Isaac, but he's playing Miguel O'Hara. When Miguel says he has Hammer Space, and there's a little box that explains what Hammer Space is. Love I didn't it. get it. I didn't read the whole thing because I was just like, I was like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, just like trying to watch the action, read what was said. But all the other like little bits, like when a character, I forget 
correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there times when a character is thinking to themselves and it pops up as text in the text boxes? Yeah, they do it in yeah, the that first movie. Yeah, that yeah. happened in the first yeah. movie too. I, I just love it when they do that because yeah. to me, it's just like it when the writers and the creators, like the entire team who made this film, when they were making this, they never, like you said, uh, Brandon, whoever made that tweet, the backbone is comic books. When they were making this movie, they never strayed like, this is a comic book movie. Let's make it a legit <laughs> comic book turned uh, film. You're absolutely correct, but I did want to correct. I didn't say I didn't say backbone. I said uh, the backstory that, for much of the characters of this movie is just straight from the comic books. Yeah, when that first um, editor's box popped up, we got a pretty good reaction in our theater. Mm-hmm. So the so comics, comic fans for sure. When the Comics Code of Authority popped up, my, my theater erupted Dude, in applause. I laughed. No one else did. I'm like, oh, I have. Uh, I just love that little com- approved by the Comics Code of Authority. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, a good bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first like 20 minutes being kind of like, like, you know, like, um, this is my story. But instead of it being the 30 second version, it's like a 20 minute short story. And it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, and like Gwen's whole like, uh, like monologue with the drums. But like, there's so there's so much more visually happening in this movie than the last movie and that movie already had so much going on but like as you see Gwen traveling she's constantly seeing miles and reflections she is constantly being reflected as ghost spider uh whether it's half or full anytime like a train door opens she transforms into a character or vice versa like this is like the like the busiest movie ever made like it's I like the we see so many movies guys I'm just like not that movies are ever like phoned in but I'm just like this movie specifically like there's I see the five years that went into this movie like it's it's it is truly like God God bless art like AI can never do this ever that's why I'm not worried about AI because like we get this shit look at this um, I uh, highlighting on the Gwen sto- stuff the story choice that I think is so so smart right is to what would push Gwen to stick with Miguel's agenda right and it's this it's this I've lost whatever little I have left in my world because my dad was going to arrest me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you can make, you can make the argument that like if Gwen had revealed it differently at a different time, but like, she certainly thought that if I told him he wouldn't be hunting spider woman, but I'm afraid that if I do, he'll, he'll react the way that he does in the initial moment. And like, it's so, it's such a good catalyst for pushing her into this uh, narrative with Miguel with this protection idea but also you know that part of the reason she goes is because she, there's some way some backdoor way I'm going to end up seeing Miles again yeah which is what she wants to do um but the way that it all comes up comes down on her and what it means uh I think is so smart that it starts from that place and again, like, you know, this being a, this movie giving her a full art that we get to go back and see her with her dad and what that ends up actually being. And that's such a big, like, motivating push for her to be like, I'm going to go fix this. Yeah. And so, you know, so what's so interesting about that is that um, she also decides to stay away from her dad because she knows that it's it's Spider-Man's destiny to lose a captain, a, a police captain. Right. Mostly it's Captain Stacy. And so her dad is Captain Stacy. So she's thinking to herself that, oh, I'm going to lose my dad. Right. Dude, the first time they, they said <laughs> canon event, I was like, no way. Yeah. Me, me, we're doing this type of shit. Like, like, um, what is the, the Nexus event type shit? But like for Spider-Man, cause like, yeah. that's a cool thing. Like we, like we see the spider multiverse, but we also see the branches that we see in Loki first mm. before it dives into the, <coughs> into the spider, like the, the, web. the sub dimension of the spider network. Right. I'm just right. like, 
there's like so much synergy happening. Like whether whether you know it's attached to Sony movies, MCU movies, like this movie's weaving a thread through all of it so perfectly in a way that like I just wish all comic movies could be this smart about it. You know, can I just say this is the most excited I've ever seen I've ever been seeing the Venom verse when oh, sure. yeah. the spot <laughs> yeah. shows up in Mrs. Chen's place. I was like, oh shit. This is just a Tuesday. That was such it? a it, that was such a smart cameo choice was for it to be her and, and not anybody else from that universe because like yeah. I, I feel like if it had been Tom Hardy, it would have been like, and this is in general with their cameos, with their Easter eggs, they know just the right amount to give you without like overlaying it. Um, I think let's just like microcosm this real quick. Like the Andrew Garfield appearance, the Tobey Maguire appearance, they they don't feel like they're they're playing to the cheap seats to me. No, They feel no. contextually relevant. We're talking about the times that a captain dies this is a loss that happens in spider-man stories and one of the times that's happened is andrew garfield and so like it, that we see it we it talk about uncle, we talk about uncle ben being yeah. a focal point and, and they don't even like put it it's not prominent it's in the background right but we see toby mcguire yeah with yeah. uncle ben and like we know that's what it is but like again they're contextualizing this happens all the time with uncle ben and all this kind of stuff and like what a smart way to allow those characters to be referenced to appear but I didn't feel like it was being ham-fisted with it. No. It was so smart. It was so selective of how it showed it. The Donald Glover cameo is so smart, so selective of how they do it. Because, like, is it at the MCU one? Who knows? Could be. Um, and, like, you can play in that space. You can just live that way with it. Uh, obviously, Yuri Lowenthal and Josh Keaton uh, as Insomniac Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. Hell yeah. Really glad they get their moments to shine. Um, really excellent. Uh, we know there's other Spider-Man uh, coming. I, you can't tell me that 90 Spider-Man isn't in the next one. Uh, we, got, oh, yeah. um, 60 Spi- uh, we got like 60 Spider-Man for a hot second yeah, yeah. when he's swinging yeah. in and... Uh, no and- animation. Uh, no, the director no. said like they're saving like, y'all, I know there was like a thousand Spider-Man, but we have, we have plenty more we didn't show. And oh my God. Spi- Spider-Rex was so great when he just jumps into the air and just flip. Yeah. My <laughs> fiance was dying of laughter when spider rex showed up sure i mean i mean obviously she once spider cat came up and starts scratching miles's face she was like spider kitty because you know she loves cats but was spider rex even i'm just sitting there going a mother effing t-rex is a spider man and you sparks sparks kind of quickly kind of quickly went through them but i do i do want to kind of spend a little bit of time on some of these cameos because spectacular spider-man uh surprised me because he's in he's twice he's got two vocal cameos uh, when we see him, uh, both times we see him, he says at least a line. Then the second time we see him, he has a really impactful line where they're talking about like, hey, Miles, like this is you got to accept that these canon events, this is what being Spider-Man is like. You're, this captain is going to die. And he's and they know. And at this point, Miles knows that they're talking about his dad. Yeah, we uh, the spectac- spectacular Spider-Man stuff. It's funny because the the, the voice actor, uh, Josh Keaton. Yeah, Josh Keaton. Uh, he said he did that in April, which is not that long ago. And he wasn't even sure he was in the movie. And then on Twitter, Phil Lord was like, don't worry, bro. I got you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's so cool. I love it. Uh, I, I lo- Josh Keaton's inclusion feels a lot like Andrew Garfield's inclusion in Spider-Man No Way Home. That kind of like vindication of like, yeah, we get that. That's the one that needed to be in this. Yeah, it's it's like the uh, it's like the I mean, it's more than one person, but this this person does it the best. Uh, Grant Morrison, they they're a person who's like, I'm, everything matters. Every single issue came out. It's canon in my book. Uh, just how do you recontextualize, recontextualize it? And it's like, it's a Spider-Man multiverse. Let's have every fun Spider-Man. Like, it's a fun yeah. animated movie. Like, of course there's a Spider-Man T-Rex. Why not? But there's one constant. There's one, there's one more constant in every multiverse. 
J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson. Thank Bro, he showed up multiple times in different. I'm just like, get work, sir. That get really, that money. That was really fun. Because he shows up first in the Lego universe. Yeah. I loved that bit. Miller, like when the spot pops into the like the Daily Bugle Lego set, everyone's like, ah. And then the fact that we even cut back to the Lego universe with Lego <laughs> Peter Parker. He just takes and, off the suit. He's just, just boop, 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 boop. I was. Part you're my best just, agent, Peter. Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah. you're one of our best, Peter. <laughs> I was just like, thank you, Lord and Miller, for going back to Lego for this. Oh, real quickly. Uh, did you guys see the ass on the Galohara? Yeah, uh, so Chris Anka, who is a very talented comic book designer and artist, he's the new character designer for this movie, and he said that they had to shrink that ass multiple times because he designed it so thick on purpose. So he said, like, I seen those thirst tweets about Miguel. Trust me, it, w- it was going to be bigger. And I'm like, that's that's a bisexual character designer for sure. There is there is oh, a beefy between the post credit scene and this one. He worked sure. out. I saw I saw that I I was looking at that and I was like. I can't look away. <laughs> it's everywhere. Miguel, um, Miguel's got it. What's really funny about because you mentioned the postgrads thing, what's really funny about the 1967 uh, uh, Spider-Man inclusion is that that's from the post-credit scene. So he actually succeeded in recruiting that guy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he yeah. was the first recruit of this yeah. Spider Society. That's so good. That's yeah, I, that post-credit scene. I'm kind of if, if I had to get jumping a don't little. Don't say it's ahead. a negative that we don't have a post-credit scene. Don't say it. What? Don't say it's a negative that we don't have a post-credit scene. Okay, fine. I won't say it then. <laughs> I, I do like movie worse. <laughs> I do like where it ends, and the the you know, know Miles Morales will will return in Spider Ver Spider Man uh, Beyond the Spider Verse. Yeah, I do like that. I do like that. I, I guess a uh, part of me was just hoping for another like another fun little snippet because obviously the from the the postgrads from Into the Spider Verse was hilarious and fun and it, you know even in the Spider Society I don't know why we're not sick of it. I'm glad we're not sick of it, but it's like pointing get. Yeah, all the Spider-Men pointing at each other. The background for Sparks and Ryan, their green screen is everyone is, or just all the Spider-Men just pointing. Actually, it just really funny. makes me so happy. What's really funny about it is it looks like it's Spider-Man Unlimited, just kind of like, hey guys, yeah. he's pointing to us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Mag brings up Neil Patrick Harris, Spidey. Hey man, I next one. I'm so I bet you they're saving some people. Neil Patrick Hamio- Harris will cameo in anything, especially if he only has to do a voice. Yeah. So I'm sure he's in the MTV one. Spider-Man. Show. And oh, they told was... us Supeda Man was supposed to be was going to be in this movie when Into the Spider-Verse, and he's not in this movie. So there's also uh there's not a lot, but there are a couple frames from the trailer that aren't in this movie, and that they could just be cut, but people are also speculating that they could be from another movie. Uh because there's like some sort of like like some like <clears throat> prowler stuff, but like you know, maybe Spider Man was there and he got cut. He said he's got to be in the next movie. They uh, did. Question: Which who was Andy Samberg? Which Spider Man was Ben Riley? Riley. Oh, next. Okay, I was gonna yeah. say I was about to bring up Ben Riley. Um, I, I I I love my boy Ben, but like this is this is a context where like we we pull all kinds of jokes about all Spider Man. Yeah. Um, and so like Ben Riley being done the way he is, I'm like, yeah, that's fire. That's fine. You you if you're if you're getting like yeah like he is the 90s joke i mean if honestly if you want to go even <clears throat> darker you would do kane who's even a right. more edgy uh-huh. spider-man which how do you get possible because ben's really edgy um but it is like i do see some spider fans online who are mad that like ben's portrayed so i'm like y'all this is the same ben's movie like what do you want him to do like he's he is the 90s uh, uh lord. like this 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 is who he is to a lot of people honestly i saw some of that twitter backlash before i saw the movie yeah um because we we saw it today uh and I I 
was like, man, how bad is it? And like, I went in and I'm like, this is fine. This is no more than like, we we kind of give our jabbing teardowns of any other spider character in this universe. Like, like Absolutely. this is, this is fine. This is not egregiously like shitting on this character. I don't know why Ben Riley fans are freaking out. I it's, don't think they need to. I, I, I get it because specifically like the last couple of years, like, like right now, Ben is chasm. Like he's like, he's like yeah, a super yeah. villain. So like Ben really hasn't had the best luck the last couple of years. No. And like, this is the first time in live or not live action in like big movie form. We were seeing Ben Riley and he's relocated to a joke. So I get it, but y'all can settle down. Right. He looks great. I love the design. The way Andy Samberg goes about the voice kind of reminds me those who have watched a bridge far enough will know what I'm referencing. Um, it's really niche, but when Perfect Cell is making fun of Trunks' very muscular form, and he mm. does a Trunks impression, that's what Andy Samberg sounded like mm. as Ben Riley. Hi, I'm Trunks, and like he's being, <laughs> but it's very appropriate. Like it's being this very emo, yeah. edgy sound. That's what Cell's making fun of. That's what it feels like Andy Samberg is reaching into as well. I thought, um, yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I don't mind it. I really like. So one of the so this <laughs> is two things that I want to write this down. Um, I really like how the. Um, peter parker face has been put on different characters but each time it looks different and distinctly different like you can tell it's not the same peter parker right um it's definitely a line especially an interesting line that you walk but i think they walk it really well yeah Uh, because when we see ben riley he's that's the peter parker face model and rightfully it should be but it looks distinctly different enough where we're like oh right that's not peter parker that's ben riley right Um, yeah yeah you know i but that kind of goes back to like that's how good they are at differentiating the different universes that we see, and all the characters from the different universes that we see. Because we see Bagman and he's 2D. I thought that was cool. But also, Andy Samberg's voice. I, this could just be a me thing, but one of the things I really like is that Chris Pine... Uh, oh, shit. Who plays Peter B. Parker? Jake, Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Um, uh, Andy Samberg. They all kind... And J- Jack Wade. They all kind of have the same cadence as Peter Parker. They're not the same voice, obviously. And you can tell that they're different voices, but they speak in the same kind of way. Um, that kind of like white raspy voice. It's weird, weird to this is a really weird thing to compliment and 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 kind of notice. But I do but I do kind of feel like that's that's the case when they cast their Peter Parkers. So I really like that that you can tell that vocally they're also the same while not also being the same. Yeah, it's similar, but similar, but different. Anyway, on the point of all those, because because we just went through so many of them, I never felt like anybody was was played up for comedy in a way where it was taking away from the larger film or given bits or gags or any of that kind of... Like, everything felt appropriately given the space that it should have. Yeah. I, like and, and I think for a movie juggling so much and for a movie that that is running as long as it is and filling up with so many things that in itself is so impressive i was really surprised at how long it took us to get to the spider society yeah or whatever they're called in the movie um yeah it's it's a long time like we already talked about it's a long time until we get the title card but it's just to reinforce while that might have been a lot of the marketing that's not what the movie's about this movie's not about a bunch of spider cameos this movie is about gwen and miles yeah I yeah, um, think and cool. both of their kind of journeys to, you know, Gwen even says in the beginning of the movie when she's talking to Miles, you know, Gwen Stacy's and Peter and, and Spider Man's, she doesn't say Peter Parker, she says Spider Man's, uh, don't end well. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of reserved to her fate, uh, in within the canon, but she's a different, she's different Gwen Stacy than than the Gwen Stacy of the other spiders now. Miles is different than the other Spider Man's. Is that kind of like idea that like we need to escape 
because why is it this way? We don't have to follow our predestined destinies, right? It is. Uh, I really like It's cool. Yeah, like the central... First of all, like the spot is a great fun villain. Like he is our he is he is the villain of the next movie, like in the grander scheme. But like he he kind of relocates like the first half of the movie, and then Miguel's kind of the, the villain of the next of the the second half. But like the whole the whole premise of this movie being that like we as a spider society have to keep all the Ben Parkers dead, and we have to make sure all these people die. We have to stick to the canon because that's all we know. We can't break tradition because we don't know what happens because we think we'll break reality but it's just like a vicious cycle that they won't even try because like because it, it it did not work for miguel that does not mean it will not work for everyone else right and he's using what happened in spider-man india's world um what happened that kind of like the, that universe is starting to unravel itself and miguel believes it's because their they, captain didn't die yeah they thwarted a canon event well yeah. and also like really important context that he like totally skips over right he says canon event being undone is what ruins the universe and gets it destroyed that's not what he did he didn't undo it he took someone else's place that is a different thing my guy yeah Uh, you didn't make it so that that miguel o'hara there didn't die you took his place a person from another universe. miguel's the bad guy here so So (laughs) but the other thing i like about to your point of what you're saying like of this the the spider-man mythos idea uh that they're you know all getting behind of like some at a certain point you have to accept an amount of loss uh to be spider-man and that they're all kind of going with this mission what I like about it is that, like, it makes sense. You can make an argument for every single one of these characters, how they could have wound up there, especially with so many of them already committed to the idea. Yes. But, like, it, it, that kind of guilt and that sense of how Peter Parker and then Peter Parker variants and then extrapolate further and further until you get down to Miles, right? Before you get to Miles, that all of them kind of take this interpretation of the, with great power comes great responsibility, and they, they take that sometimes to put the entire world on them and that becomes absolute responsibility which those two things are not the same yes like being responsible with your power also means being responsible to the people you care about and like that is a balance that peter is not good at that's part of who the character is so what i like about it is that it's driving from that point with all these characters to do something that's so generationally true right now and have all of these spider people say well we all had to lose something, so you have to lose something too, Miles. Absolutely. We couldn't have it good, so you can't have it good either. It, and that, even though those characters, a lot of these characters that are not Miguel, right? That's not the way they mean to say it, yeah. but it is what they're saying. Absolutely. And having Miles be like, that's not how it's going to work. Bro, look, and look how happy, Spider-Man India is the dopest dude, right? Uh, <laughs> that dude, he's the—he's like the only Spider-Man who's not depressed. He has a great life. Uh, he wakes up and he doesn't work out because he, he doesn't want to get too big. Like, that dude lives a perfect life and he gets to keep the captain? Hell no. Miguel would never allow it. That guy, the captain's gotta die. Everyone's gotta live my sad life because that's how reality has to be, right? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, it's so good. I love it. They have to figure out what's causing that hole because if Miguel's right, then yeah, Miles would have to. But also Miles is... What they changed in the in the story is so. What's so interesting is how they changed Miles' backstory a little bit, to be that he was never supposed to be Spider Man, and it's because he was bit that Pete, that his Peter Parker died. Well, um, what I love about it is that like they didn't change his backstory; they just expanded on it, right? Because yeah. the Spider always came from another dimension, and we knew that. 
Mm-hmm. We knew that in the first one that it didn't come it was, it was glitching. from his it home dimension because it glitched. Yeah. And I think that was so smart to take that as a tool and a cue to say, well, the problem that they have is that he wasn't supposed to be bit by that spider. And that was such a smart like way to reverse around on all of this and make Miles the anomaly. And real quick yeah. to your point about the hole in, in India um, for Spider-Man India, uh, Miguel gets to conveniently say that that like fits his narrative, right? But we know that that hole it started because the, the, spot. the spot created a hole with the collider yeah. and then it made the building fall and the spot the, the hole fell with the building. Yeah. So that collider hole was in the building and went down. It's not because of what Miles did. Not not in the saving sense, right? Like yeah. that's not what's ruining ruining that world right now. Um, so I do think like there's there's room to like play with like Miguel has created a narrative that he believes is true out yeah. of his experience that is not necessarily accurate. Yeah. While we're while we're in India, uh, in Manhattan, uh, which is beautiful, it, this is my favorite section of the movie. Specifically, once the spider team's in action and they have to stop uh, that giant building from collapsing on that bridge, that is one of the most spectacular. I didn't mean to use Spider-Man verbiage, but I did. Do it. It is it is a spe- one of the most spectacular action scenes I've ever seen. Of all them working together, going through buildings, saving people, so much destruction happening. I'm like, Jesus, man, this is a superhero movie. Uh, something I'll use, something I'll, about it. Oh, sorry, Ben. Just real fast. It's I'll something just, I love throughout all the time is when they're going to all these other worlds. All the spider characters, like even if they're not agreeing with each other or or something's not right in the team composition, the moment innocents are in danger, they're all they're on all it. they're all on it. It's all part of who they are. Yep. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry. No, I'll, I was gonna say to Ryan, I was like, I'll use Spider-Man verbiage. Verbiage. It's amazing. <laughs> it's all this this whole movie is amazing it's spectacular it's superior i'll do, it's I'll do it all day it's <laughs> it's friendly neighborhood damn it i fucked it it's no it's true no it is it's true, um, but one of the things i wanted to are, are we stunned on this point or are we moving on or are we want to stick with this point go go across the spider go where, ben, do go what where you want to go, go. No, because no, one of the things i really wanted to talk about this movie is how well the um, the background artists and just, I mean, artists in general make every single universe different. How you know you were in a different universe, be it the color palette, the way the buildings are drawn, the backgrounds are drawn, the characters are drawn. Um, Mag mentioned earlier about how, um, where did it go? Oh, yeah, this one, where he said top anime movie of the year for me. Certain spider characters are anime in different, in different ways. Um, spider punk when he the, the entire time spider punk is on screen he is 100 he is in it he's he's punk he's different every single time his art style is different he's like um those cut out things you put you cut out of a newspaper and slap it on something else it's amazing how man i got a fits. i got a fun little fact for you spider punk's art style is, consi- is cons- constantly changing because he doesn't believe in consistency there you go and i noticed uh, that i noticed that because when he shows up at this at, in the way of york i was like you're animated differently no mm-hmm. like he is constantly changing colors mid mid talking too he is always changing it is, yeah. it is i love it it's insane it's, it is great and even well uh, i noticed this uh when gwen stacy was forced back to her own world and she confronts her dad how the background of it's a lot of uh a lot of brush strokes it's not there's not a lot of detail in it but because there's not a lot of detail, your focus is on Gwen Stacy and essentially burying her soul to her dad yes. and how nothing else in the world matters. It's just Gwen and her father. Dude, Ben, and- that is so astute. That is so astute. Uh, like, because it starts it starts in a regular room. And then as Gwen keeps talking, it the room around them melts. 
It's like mm-hmm. literally like the paint starts fading away as you focus on the characters. That, it is some artistic genius, dude. That and the color changes with the emotions of characters Mood in ring. Gwen's world. I'll say this is true throughout. Mm-hmm. That like what what is the emotionality of whatever character is focusing yeah. on? It can be Gwen, but it can also be her dad. Um, it changes the color of what's happening in the room. Yeah. I mean, besides that, there's another point I wanted to mention earlier. Real quickly, talk- before you get off of that, I just want to say on Sparks' thing, because I know you're, you're moving on, that um, it's a really great way to interpret that art style from that comic, because putting an emotion, kind of the painterly, that painterly melting that happens in that discussion, excellent, excellent, excellent. I cannot praise it enough. Yeah. And um, there was a, earlier when we were talking about, there was something Brand said about how long it takes us to get to the Spire Society. Because we all knew the Spire Society was going to be in the movie. It was in the trailer. It was a big part of the trailer. And I just love how that's not the focal point of the film. I mean, yes, this film is called Across the Spider-Verse. You do go across different Spider-Verses, but that's not the point. The point is Miles. The point is Gwen. And I love how uh, even the beginning of the movie, when we see the different Spider-People, how it is cool seeing all these different Spider-People, but at the same time, I'm invested in Miles' story. I'm invested in him trying to balance being Spider-Man and talking and and living up to his parents expectations i'll be honest i did a lot of leo dicaprio pointing (laughs) i think everyone did Uh, oh that's oh that (laughs) yeah yeah but when we do finally get to the spire society it's like this grand payoff but at the same time it's not just just like the to me the writing of this movie is genius the writing is genius because while it brings in that grand multiversal stuff and it brings in that grand like let's bring in as many spider people as audiences just as general audiences may or may not know it doesn't take away from the fact that this is a story about miles trying to stop the spot from essentially killing his dad and miguel saying no this is can canon event it has to happen so is is the sinister six movie ending with miguel o'hara taking adrian tombs back to the mcu because that's hey, what man, he's doing I, in this movie i absolutely love that they they just by sheer like fun of having Shakespearean old school uh, uh, vulture, they made sense of that Morbius thing happening. Or why would a vulture show up because of Into the Spider Verse? And I'm just like, you didn't have to do this, but you did, and I mm-hmm. appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I love that when they're running through all the various villains that don't belong in their universes. There's an actual rhino. It's like there's a real <laughs> rhino. Yeah, <laughs> and like we knew we knew the line was there, but I do appreciate the like. Don't get me started on Doctor Strange, that nerd from Earth one nine nine nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Super, super fun. Really glad it's there. Um, they really do such a great job with with blending all of this multiverse stuff, but keeping the heart of Gwen and Miles and the story that's happening to the two of them at the center of it. They're they're so so good at it. They're so good at not losing focus yeah. on what the movie's supposed to be about. And I think like we're just so used to films aiming for the sky with these kinds of Easter eggs and cameo appearances, and usually when they do they start even it can still be a good movie i'm not saying it's a bad movie when they do this but like we've often had a conversation where we're like yeah they reach for the sun and they got it doesn't feel like 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 natural yeah 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 yeah. they 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 stretch themselves a little too far for the easter egg and and that kind of thing and this is just one where that i just don't feel it ever i never once felt like this was inappropriate they shouldn't have done this here this was a little too much of this blah 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 um like we can talk about like the the length of scenes and the pacing of things, but the the way that they entrenched the use of the multiverse and the different characters never felt like it was out of purpose. Yeah, uh, and that's just so impressive on its own. To Ben's point about what he's talking about, like the environments and everything, 
what a great playground for these animators to be able to test out new things like you this, you know taking the the lessons from spider-verse uh the first one and going beyond that even further to uh expand on what is possible in animation what is possible now that we're willing to bust open those doors and really set things on on fire and say like do it new do it different do it do it wild do it better um also these animators have such mastery of spider people in motion yeah uh they are so crisp and clear so many different types so many different types the fact that all these characters move differently uh we got our spider-man india private Privateer, uh, who like the way he moves oh, with the bangles, like with the bangles, oh, and mm-hmm. it's a totally different movement movement style. The way he like kicks up his legs compared to Hobie, compared to Miguel has laser whips, <laughs> compared to Miguel, compared to Miles, compared to Gwen, compared to some of our extras like that we see in in the side. Like it's so cool that they think about the movement details down to how does this character move jess how jess moves because she's pregnant because they factor that into who she is really smart really great while we're talking about jess this is not a negative but i thought she was going to be in the movie considerably more i needed more of her because she was cool i don't think they i don't think she's in the movie enough isa isa ray is great i think that like i think she's underutilized i think you functionally have to keep her at arm's length because because of what's going on between her and gwen yeah and again like that feels like something where just from like the visuals were given at the end of the movie, you know that there's more to develop. Oh there. yeah, yeah, it'll um, definitely be more in the and, second movie, and, so. it, and it does feel like she kind of has to remain like staunchly the the person who stands next to Miguel and says the like Nah, he's right for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like her moments where she bonds with with Gwen. Yeah, um, I think she's gonna turn coat by in the next movie for sure. I think I think the whole thing is gonna turn on Miguel. Like all this is the thing is like all these spider people like they're they're bought into the idea right now. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is so smart is like I don't think that they they don't mean to say that miles has to go through this because they went through this. Yeah. But like, that's the mentality they're bringing to it. They're like, yes, this grief is part of being a spider person and that thus it must exist. And miles is, is rightfully standing there and saying, absolutely not. Like if I know I can save my dad, it is my responsibility and my pleasure to be able to go and save my it's, father. It, it just, honestly, this movie has a lot in relation with Loki, believe it or not. Because mm-hmm. Loki is a, is an abnormal variant who shouldn't exist. And that whole show is about correcting the timelines and whatnot. So like, I really like that we are able to explore that in different capacities. And like, this is a, I love Loki, but like, this is such a, like, this is such an emotional movie while still being about a thousand different Spider-Men. Like it is the sheer willpower of like these creatives are like, you can do something like this. And uh, it, we can do like this. But you know, it's not about what's so brilliant about it. What you just said, which just clicked in me. It's not about a thousand Spider-Men. It's about yeah. Spider-Men. It's about just the concept of being Spider-Man. And in that case, it becomes very singular. So they don't have the balance of a thousand different characters because it is just about the very, like, one of the things that, that's in Into the Spider-Verse that I, that I, 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 while watching it, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to go in more into this in the Cross the Spider-Verse, which is that it, it's very lonely being Spider-Man. At least it used to be before everyone was 616, but it's very lonely being Spider-Man. And all these spiders that we meet into the Spider-Verse, they're lonely. They're the only Spider-Man. They're the only, they only spider have person. each other. They only have each other. And across the universe takes that and runs with it. Being Spider-Man is a lonely existence, but they're making you. They're saying you have to be lonely. That yeah. is your destiny as Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's the thing, right? Is that my, that's where Miles is, right? We yeah. pick up with Miles and Miles has no friends. It's been a year and four months and he has no real friends. He's kind of friends with Genki, but like he that's that's real like face like Genki does not want to be the guy in the chair. This is not the same Genki as the other Genkis we've seen. 
it's really surface level stuff. And um, I think you mean Ned. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ned. yeah, yeah, same so, character, yeah, same character. They they reference it in a line. They know what's up. Yeah. Um, but Miles has uh, he's gone like that that path that like it, it's it's a good story beat where he's allowed himself to become very much more Spider-Man than he is Miles at this point. Like, especially in his personal life, like he's all about being Spider-Man. He's not really about like, while he is thinking about his future, he's thinking about his future in a very like personal and selfish and Spider-Man related way of like, what's he talking about? He wants to go to Princeton because they're studying dimensional stuff. He wants to find a way to be his friends again. Yeah. He's not thinking about like living the life he's living in his world anymore. And he's not thinking about being miles in that world yeah. anymore. And that's like where the story with the parents is so grounding and so strong and so good. And so thematically, it's the whole point of like, that's what his parents are saying to him. That's what this whole universe is saying to him is like, Hey, you gotta be lonely. And he's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. That's not what I wanted. That's not the way I wanted any of this to be ever. Um, and it's so, so good because it is all of these spider people are eventually going to go, oh, no, it doesn't. It, it, Ryan put it very succinctly when we came out of the movie that, like, you, you look at the comics right now and they're so constantly, like, dragging Peter Parker back to the same baseline of Peter Parker has to suffer, Peter, Peter Parker has to lose, can't have Mary Jane, can't be happy, can't all these things because it's his responsibility to use his powers and that always has to come at the sacrifice of things that are personal. And this is very much flying in the face of that and saying, like, you are interpreting that phrase wrong. And you have been being spider people around that phrase wrong. And that's what Miles is saying. Miles is saying, I'm different. We all should be different. Yeah. And there has been there has been some interesting conversations online about how, like, we just had No Way Home come out, right? And we all like that movie. And that movie is very much a, hey, you have to be Peter Parker and suffer to be Spider-Man type of thing. And I think both can exist. Mm -hmm. I think you can be Peter Parker and have gone through that. And then the next generation going, I don't have to go through that. I'm not the same as you. I think both can exist. And I think, so Sorry. I had a friend of mine, I had a friend like say like, oh, I really hate No Way Home for doing what with May and all that stuff. And I'm like, I respect that. I don't, I disagree. I think two things can exist at once. And I think Into the Spider-Verse like, or Across the Spider-Verse like really helps, helps define that. And like, that is a true thing that did happen, but it doesn't have to happen for everyone that way. It doesn't have to. Right. You know, it's kind of like uh, everything everywhere all at once, right? Like just because I have this trauma doesn't mean I should pass it on. And that's what Miles is saying. Like, yeah, you guys went through this. Maybe it's Peter Parker's destiny to go through this, but why is it Miles Morales's? Absolutely. Importantly, something that I think is so smart, and I wouldn't be shocked if it comes back around in a, a, a textual, very clear way in the next film, is that Miguel is making this argument like you're not supposed to exist. Spider wasn't supposed to bite you, all these things, right? Yep. What else does he do, though? He shows all these important moments in Spider-Man lives. One of those moments is Miles holding Aaron's hand when he dies, into the Spider-Verse because the universe readjusted yep. to the fact that Miles is now Spider-Man. Yes. So he has that important moment. He is part of the web. This you is, can't say he's not Spider-Man now. Yeah. He had the moment. This is yeah. This is also why it's so good that again, this is a sequel to an incredible movie where the whole message was anybody can be Spider-Man. Right. This is this is the last Jedi situation of literally like it doesn't matter who you're related to. Like you're not even Peter Parker. Like the spider wasn't meant for you you can still be good enough to be Spider-Man. Like, that is so important. And he's trying to, and Miguel's also trying to add, when he, because you're right, like, he lost his uncle. That's one of the one of the canon events. You lose your uncle, and then you lose the captain. Um, and so, like, one of the things that was so interesting about Miles being included there is that Miguel already played his hand, right? Like, he, he already showed Miles that he is part of the web, but... He, then he said, but then later he's trying to get into Miles's head by telling him the spider wasn't supposed to bite you. Your Peter died. 
because you were bitten. He is trying right. to give Miles that burden to live with because he believes that is the only way to win. Right. Because all Miguel knows is suffering, unfortunately. Right. And yeah. he and he aligns that like that this is not the way the thing is supposed to is supposed to be, but he doesn't actually like <laughs> it doesn't matter but like in wider universe rules right like miguel doesn't know exactly how things are supposed to work that spider from earth 42 might have been meant to bite this miles that can be how things are meant to be so that there is a world where there is no spider-man like that can be the through line and so i i think it's very smart that it's like showing you there are holes in what miguel's doing so like it's not just it's not just driven from a fact that like we love we love Miles and we love Miles' dad and that's why Miles is right. Yeah. There's clear factual reasons of why like Miles should be standing against this and yeah. why the spider people are probably going to come around on it as well. And dude, like when when Miles is chasing or when when Miguel is chasing Miles and and this is a 15 year old kid, right? This is a 15 year old teenager. Miguel is slamming this kid's head into that train. Oh yeah, and he's I, whispering the meanest, like "You are nothing. You do not deserve." To. I'm just like, dude, you're. This is so personal, right? I now. really <laughs> love at the beginning of the movie when we're in Gwen's world and he's uh, got the vulture and he's about to bite him, and then he puts his oh, mask back on the helicopters. The like, vampire hey, stuff. Yeah, hey, you gotta get back down to the ground and calm down. And he's like, "I'm a good guy." And it's like, you don't look like one. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it around for for, for the end. But y'all, it's very interesting that we have vampire shit that they never address in this movie it is very someone incredibly does, interesting. someone does call him vampiric at one point yeah. like when when tells miles he's yeah. like a vampire yeah and he, uh, we that's see not him doing, we see him doing the injection yeah that's I, as far as i'm concerned that's not a normal uh miguel o'hara thing no. uh that's that's yeah, yeah that'll yeah. be fun spicy stuff in the next movie mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh, we haven't talked about the spot very much i love, um, I love jason schwartzman I really love how they animate the spot. I really love his, his. I really love his banter with Miles. I think it's some of the most fun in the movie. Nice. Um, and when he's like, when he's like, so what is this? A suit or skin? It's like, unfortunately for both of us, it's skin. This is my skin. Yeah. Um, and I really, I think a lot of that is really funny. And I, but I, I adore that his origin story is my favorite joke from the first movie in CBM history, which is he took a bagel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's the guy who got hit by the bagel. Man. He, got, he yeah. got hit by the bagel, uh, and and he was like apparently deeply involved in the collider and everything. Uh that's all cool. What I love about it is that they do such a good job of like putting you on Miles level of like this guy ramping this up guy how a, bad he this becomes. guy is a joke, yeah. and then like how serious Sinister. it gets and how how quickly yeah. Not, man, not only that, not only that, I just love the design of the spot. And also how they draw him because you could still see the outline lines of him because he's not like completely animated. It's not just the spots. I mean like the, the blue sketch lines okay, yeah. of like this of the skeleton yeah. like when um artists like they try to make, build they build like a character's physique. You still see those lines, but also the skeleton. Yeah, the skeleton. But also what I love is like later on in the movie, like when this like obviously the spot is an antagonistic force. I would argue that Miguel is the real antagonist because between act two and three he's like actively trying to screw over miles but what also i love is how the spot goes from someone who was a joke who was who was like yeah of course this guy is nothing i mean yeah he has interesting power but he can't even control it to absolutely freaking terrifying like mm -hmm. when he there is just something about just simple line art with characters there's no discerning features it's simple, it looks like a bunch of scribbles that just is so unsettling to me, especially yeah. when it's applied to a villain who oh can warp and destroy reality. I yeah. just realized who the what the design of the spot reminded me of. Sparks, the anti-spiral. Mm, sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's very much that kind of similar line work, right? Yeah, oh, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, not from... similar. I think uh, I think what's been more interesting is a lot of people pointing out, and I think rightly so, that um, when he takes on the full, like, mostly black look mm-hmm. that he has near the end of the film, Super spot. he looks very uh, emblematic of Miles' graffiti from the first film. Um, where he put his silhouette in the middle of uh, no expectations, mm. and uh, and that being like a visual connection between the two, I, I think that there is something to that. But you're right, like uh, there is a an anti spiral. Null has recently been on my mind, so like some kind of Null's reference that, with the spiral stuff as well. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I don't think they're doing anything with that um, to, to do do with Null at all. Um, but using spiral uh, art is always kind of cool. Um, it's always kind of indicative of like. Um, something kind of getting out of control yeah uh and uh i really really like it um what i think is so wonderful about jason schwartzman is he's so good at playing the comedic side of the spot and playing the sinister side and like mm-hmm. and how that evolves over the course of the film i really love when we get one of some of my favorite stuff with him is when we're in india because you get this section of him um getting chewed out for being like don't eat pray love me man and he's like no no no, i didn't mean it like that yeah <laughs> don't eat, oh i love, love chai tea no <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You're saying TP. And, and him being like that, but at the same time, like he's so focused on Miles, and it's like they're they're like, which Spider-Man do you mean? And he's like, yeah, him. And uh, you know, takes Miles uh, down and is is giving him a lot of good hits. Uh, I think that's really really solid. Um, this this very personal dynamic between them. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, I'm I'm very uh, like you know the way they've set the spot up, this is kind of like our comic too with, uh, you know, like some of the most valuable things that No Way Home does it uh, of Spider-Man is like seeing something inside the villains and, and recognizing it and recognizing how to like reach them and connect to them. And like yeah. they've got good setup with the spot for Miles to do that for him to like, all, what he really wants is for Miles to just take him seriously. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. what he did and take responsibility for it. Right. Yeah. Because that's kind of what Miles is just rolling off his shoulder. I, you yeah. Break, you go break, you go break, you go break. He's, this is going to sound really weird, but because because the spot is a much is, is a much more interesting villain at this point in this movie. But like he kind of feels a little bit like Gwen's Bodega Bandit, who was this character that would rob bodegas. And all he wanted was Gwen to take him seriously as a supervillain. Right. He's the um, shocker. He's the shocker. Um, I, so like, I really like that idea. That yeah, we- I do, too. That we that we that that is the kind of motivation for this villain. Like, I just acknowledge me. Yeah. Well, and I, I I what I liked even more than it was this idea of like their their lives being so deeply intertwined because it wasn't just the the collider thing that the collider is what created him. He also is the one who brought the spider there. Yeah. And I think that was really smart. Too. I created you. You um, created me. I'm the one who brought the spider out. You got you you are who you are because of me, and I am who I am because of you. And like yes, in a way yes. where like neither one was intentional yeah you know um but not nevertheless they are intertwined in that way it, it was really cool and organic way to do it i think the the the, the way they came back around on the, like the earth 42 and the spider and all that stuff was really really smart just really sharp at seeing the opportunity you had that was left there from the first film and saying yes and to it rather than like totally pulling out new directions and that kind of thing like this all feels like it was so absolutely baked in the entire time mm-hmm. yeah whether it was or wasn't like it doesn't matter it's it feels like it was always there you brought up earth 42 and i want to say we can talk about the animation uh being so so good and it is one of the things that i really love about the animation is that in earth in earth 42 the animation is different but it's yes. hiding that it's different 
up until the reveal. And I because like if you're not really paying attention, it does look like Miles's Miles's universe because it's shrouded in the darkness. The colors gave it away for me. I I hear you. I feel like maybe if we weren't cutting between i'm not saying real quickly i'm not saying that i was fooled by it i was just saying that i really like it as a visual style because you there is a tell that it that is the outside colors are very different uh miles of street in 1610 is is lit up with this nice orange light whereas 42 is not uh i didn't mean to suggest that i thought you were fooled by it um i just i i was just saying that i think it the the way that it is so clear i think like i don't think the movie's trying to trick you or hide it i would argue um because i think it is very clear because it's cutting between miguel o'hara and the others being in miles world and then cutting to miles there and it's like well that's very clearly not the same place <laughs> that is not the same city um and like it, it I I think I wish they hadn't drawn out the reveal that he's in the wrong world for quite as long. Yeah. Personally, yeah, yeah. I think if there is a beat that doesn't totally work for me, it was the him confessing to his mom because I knew from the jump that it like long before that it wasn't his mom. Like I knew from the moment that that he gets scanned yeah, yeah, that yeah. that it's not going to be his mom. Yeah, and because I, that, it tells you. And I, and I think that scene is maybe goes a little long for the emotional like confession that's supposed to be for him before he realizes he's, I, I would have had him glitch partway through yeah, yeah. or something so that he knows very quickly that he's in the wrong place. Yeah. Something else like looking around the room for him or something, because I don't think the audience is supposed to be fooled or if they were, then I wouldn't have shown earth 42 when he got scanned. If you hide that number, then I think the visual cues, everything after that leaves the audience to figure it out when they want to figure it out. Yeah. I don't think anyone's supposed to be fooled except for miles. That's the point I was trying to make that I wanted to just kind of like squash right now and make very clear. It's for miles because miles, the animation isn't the animation style of the world is different from 1610, but it's being hidden from miles and therefore slightly from us. We already know it's the wrong world. We see it scanned to 42. It's different color palette. We know it's, we know it is the audience is not supposed to be fooled here, but miles is. And I find that to be such a smart choice that the movie, at least for the most part, won us in miles's head, which is why it does that. I just, I just think it's interesting. No, I agree with you. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm trying to say is that the confession to the mom goes too long because of that. Because I don't think the audience is supposed to be tricked. That is too long of a scene. I was about to add that I do agree with that. That's part of the pacing issues that I had. Yeah. Um, I was o- I was not saying that that was the point you were making. I was just making clear my point because I I felt I hadn't. So let's move uh, on. Uh, what I really like about that section is when Miles is swinging to what he thinks is his home. Um, and he's what's going through his mind is happening in the environment music video style right mm-hmm. uh the the train falling away there are, there are tentacles from live coming after him oh, so all this kind of stuff very very good very much like you know accentuating uh miles headspace also a crafty way to kind of hide what's maybe going on with the world again if you wanted to trick the audience which i don't think that was the goal but like it, it makes it more visually dynamic what we're getting expressed from uh uh from Miles' perspective, it was nice seeing those tubes because, like, I miss Liv. I hope she shows up in the next one. <laughs> Superior for sure. Superior Liv. That's so interesting. Um, the first film, I always, I always forget that the first film introduces a Doctor Octopus for Gwen Stacy that was never adapted into the comics. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just get the metal arm at one point. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Gwen Stacy never had an octopus. We haven't talked about Peter B. Parker. No, love him. I was surprised love. that he comes in so late. Good, yeah. good for him. Good for it. But I was surprised. 
I just I also wanted more of him. Not that it's bad. It's like, oh man, he's definitely gonna be more in the next uh, movie. But yeah, I well, yeah. More. Also, uh, Mayday is a treasure. Oh my god, I absolutely adore her. I will take a bullet for that child. Uh, interesting, um, different Mary Jane voice actor back in his world. Not Zoe Kravitz back oh. this time as Mary Jane. Different okay. actor. Okay. Um, uh, but I I wanted to make quick note of that. What I want to say. Peter B. Parker really liked the amount. Uh, frankly, I think he's in the movie the right amount for this movie. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. He's he's in it and important for the amount that he's supposed to be. Um, I really, really love his beat when he's coming after Miles. And he's like, I have her because of you. Yeah. I have her because I wanted her to be like you, Miles, because I think you're awesome. Yeah. Um, and like all I like being of, around you. Yeah, yeah, so good. I think that, that it really works as this evolution of the character we met in into the story. And it makes the betrayal hurt so bad that him and mm-hmm. both betrayed him. That they they didn't, yeah. Um, but what I what I also want to say to that is um, I'm glad they didn't try to push again. This is them really knowing like what's the story about that they didn't try to push uh, Noir or Peter Porker into this movie. They appear at the very end, which makes sense. Like you know, Gwen's getting the people who care about Miles back, and and people have rightly pointed out that like who knows where Peter Parker necessarily would have landed, but Noir 100% would have been my, on Miles' side. Um, oh, yeah. Not agreed with this whole establishment of suffering thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh... Penny has a, has a seminal part in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, she's in a new mech, which looks really cool, but she, she says, uh, some, she, she has this kind of like the last gut punch to miles and that big kind of like confrontation scene. Yeah. That she's, that she's part of it as well. And I think that was the right amount to leave her in it too. Again, knowing we are getting more of those characters in the next one. Yeah, yeah. But I think they were very, very good at selecting like who needs to be here for how long that is relevant to the story we're telling in this movie. Um, yeah. And I think they were very, very smart about how they chose where the Into the Spider-Verse characters returned. Yeah, it's it's really cool that we're getting the team back together, but also now we have, like, Team Miguel, who is Jess and Penn Riley. Well, and we have, like, and we have, like the, the new the new members, like Hobie and... Um, yeah. Privateer. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's, oh, God, I who's, like, on Miles' side because yeah. Miles is responsible for saving yeah. the, the <laughs> captain in his world. So, yeah. like... This, this, oh God, I love Hobie. What I love about Hobie is that Hobie, as Spider Punk and played by Daniel Kalua, who's doing an incredible job, um, uh, he is supposed to be like full blown punk anti establishment. It's just as you were saying, like in the comic, it's kind of watered down. These are a bunch of people who are putting like Black, Black Lives Matter stickers on Miles' backpack and everything. He's going to be the socialist, that he, like anarchist that he is, where he's going to say, uh, like, the system yeah. is terrible and the system's always terrible and don't trust it. And so I'm so glad that Hobie from like beat one once like, he's connecting with Miles and like he tells him, like, you got to use the palms and that he gives oh, him communication was... on that. That he's like, yeah, don't trust this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't trust this. Man. I, I love his line. He's got this line. Don't enlist until you know what war you're fighting. Yes. Yeah. As he's like, I quit. Bye. And it's a great, mm-hmm. and it's honestly such a good setup because Hobie's set up as like this guy in Miles' mind, and as the audience perspective of like being with Miles, this competition guy for like a love triangle with Gwen. And that's what like Miles is anticipating with this guy. And Hobie's just like, dude, I'm telling you, you don't want in. Like, <laughs> I-, I know what they think of you, and you don't want it. Um, so be ready to also bounce. how do you get cooler when you take your mask off yeah i love <laughs> i love the line and again his art also exceptional i love the line where miguel's like and you i don't even know what to do with you don't i'm not <laughs> yeah. even here above yeah <laughs> um i love it when he says i don't have a scooby-doo which is like cockney slang for i don't have a clue yeah. oh i love how it translates as cockney yeah. yeah um and then of course like when mayday is like oh she took a grab he's holding mayday and goes take a crap and establish respect yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and, he's doing shit. And he's like a little anarchist. <laughs> like, yeah. And he, Hobie is just one of the 
best additions to spider yes. I knew we were getting Spider-Punk, but just the fact, even when he's like doing his own little backstory, he's like, I'm not going to reveal it to you, my secret identity. And then he takes the mask off. I just love how Miles is like, how are you even cooler? He's like, <laughs> I I really love how they incorporate him into the story and what it means for Miles' inclusion to go off of what Sparks was saying. Of Every, every spider in this movie is very thoughtfully picked uh, for the role that it plays in Miles. And, but it it got me man i got me so hyped at the end when i knew it was ending when we see the when we see all the gwen's team now and yes. there was noir and there was porker and i'm like baby we're getting the team back together Absolutely, yeah. yeah yeah it's hype it's a good hype moment it's a, yeah, it's a really good team because uh, who's, who's the other the the avatar girl is also there i forget her oh, spider, oh, bite. spider bite yeah, spider yeah, bite She's and, the uh, she's the the yeah the, right, and she's she's also the computer jumping in on the team, and I'm really and happy about that. Yeah, Penny Penny is there with them, and like yeah. it's it, it's such a it's such a it's such a cool moment because like Nicolas Cage said like oh no I'm not in Across the Spider Verse I didn't return as Noir and like baby I'm so excited to hear you back for Beyond. Yeah, I I was worried like I like I didn't know if he would be in the next one or not, but like him not being in this one I wasn't totally bummed out, but like he is in that next one for sure now. And I'm like, oh, they knew what they were doing. They had to save the best for last, baby. Hell yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So excited. Like, I cannot wait to see that that, kind, great... that that kind of fight. And and the the final nugget of this movie in Earth 42, Little Prowler. Little Prowler. Oh little my Prowler. God. I, 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 I love it. I love his design. Miles looks like a little, uh, little jerk. That was the, the only time. That was the one of the, one of the few times. That's kind of where I can pinpoint, like, where we're maybe dragging this all along because like the audience knows this is miles. There's no one in the audience who doesn't know that, but this little prowler is miles. Yeah. But they, they, they do take their sweet time revealing it. That's why I feel again, like the last 20 minutes, like I like everything that happens, but I just feel like they kind of extend everything out just a little bit. I'm like, just, I don't know how you cut it. But yeah. Just, yeah. I also think, I also think that like, once you are done doing the, like miles and Gwen are in the different, in the same room in different worlds. Yes. Uh, then you only focus on Miles, and then you only focus on Gwen. Yeah, yeah. And so you leave Miles hanging on the the bag, and you leave Gwen gathering the team, and you stop cutting between the two. And I think yeah, yeah. that made it feel longer because we we kept like jumping back and forth after that beat. And I think it should have just been here's this beat, here's this beat, done. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is that maybe just a slight misstep in in the the way they built the tension because like we, we jump back and forth because of miles getting knocked out and things like that. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out that uh, we have a new voice actor for miles. That is Jarrell Jerome, not uh Shumik Moore. Oh, it was voicing. Him. No, I just assumed oh, it was him. Uh, he is voicing miles G Morales. Ooh, the Prowler, that's awesome. Uh, for earth 42. That's cool. Uh, when Aaron walked in, like I, I, I like I, I saw it coming, but like it's still an awesome reveal, dude. Like it oh, is yeah. so sick. And like Uncle, I missed you. And like he hands money to his mom, like we're still family. And I'm like, no, oh, Jeff. Oh no, yeah, Jeff, yeah. no. Right. You know, it's 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 so messed up that Miguel talks about uh like losing captains as like a thing that's supposed to happen when like Gwen's Gwen's uh Uncle Ben moment is um is losing Peter. And it's it's such a messed up moment to have miguel telling miles you were never supposed to be spider-man like what does that mean for gwen too obviously gwen is meant to be that the spider of her universe but she's not a peter parker uh she's the only gwen stacy in the entire multiverse who became spider woman who became spider woman yeah yeah. right like such an interesting like man f you miguel and again i can't get over the fact that miguel this whole thing kind of started with him like taking the body of another dead spider-man like the, the 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 foundation is rotten, y'all. We gotta burn the whole thing to the ground. 
Um, something. Oh, I love. I think, sorry. Like, quickly, I love her new costume. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it looks cool. I love the I love the over the over the over the fingerless gloves, uh, with the with the pink spider with the pink webbing. Love it. That was really cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I like all the the costume designs and and the new ones that we get in this one. Chris Anka, you're the best. You're the best in the West. Um, uh, it's a, uh, I think that there's like too strong a language played on the captain thing because I feel like it's just like there's supposed to be another like loss, you know, like uh, uh, of that. We, it, it gets shown through the captains, but like we know that's not always like we, you you know that's not always part of the story. Like you, you could argue that like the captain loss for Tobey Maguire's Spider Man isn't the captain; it's Harry. Right, like it's not going to be that same consistent. Like it's the captain loss, yeah. but I, we get really married to that language, and I don't, I don't think that was necessarily supposed to be the point. But I get it because like it's a cleaner way to make the connection between Captain Stacy, Captain. I'll tell you what, Morales, like I agree that. with you, but like I think someone actually brought this up. But, like that can actually be a plot point for the next movie. Of, like you're not even consistent with your own rules, right? Like you're you're mm-hmm. governing the universe in what you think is right, and you're not even consistent with you're your right. own self. And we pointed out that like Miguel O'Hara's whole thing is based around like things that don't add up if you really look at it and we talk you know we, yuri lowenthal is back as as ps4 spider-man and like we see him um he he his losing the captain moment right was jefferson davis but miles is losing his uncle moment is jefferson davis so like even like it's not consistent throughout all the worlds this isn't this isn't, this isn't always meant to happen in every world we've seen uh, miguel already make- Miguel will make it work so everybody does suffer just because that's what he thinks everyone should yeah. do. He is Jefferson Morales as of this film. No mm. longer Jefferson Davis. Oh, I didn't know this. They changed his name. They did that on purpose because uh, this Morales. happened in the comics too. Yes. Um, and it's because Jefferson Davis is not... Uh, it's a it's not He's a, a confederate good re- uh, leader in the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a good name for a black man. Yeah, it was one, one of the Bendis' um, oopsies. Uh, so that happened in comics canon. They also did it in this movie where they changed it. So he's Captain Morales. You'll see his badge says Morales now. Uh, Jefferson's... Oh, I I haven't I haven't read the original Miles Morales comics in a long time, but he was not in the picture, his dad, initially. That was changed when Secret Wars happened, right? Sparks? I want to know in the Ultimate Universe. Are you talking in the Ultimate Universe? Yeah. Or Venom kills his father. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the Ultimate Universe, Venom killed his dad. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but that that's something that they changed in the comics at a certain point was that you know it was pointed out and they were like, okay, so um, the in the comic story, like Jefferson says that like my dad was a terrible person. He wants and so to get. I've changed. Yeah. I've changed my name. Uh, to his wife's because I don't I don't want to carry. That I don't thing. want my son to have. It. I, my that's why that's why I don't want my son to have it either. And so that has changed in the Spider Verse film now too. He's not Jefferson Davis. He is now Jefferson Morales, um, which I thought was a very thoughtful thing. Where they like they they took the the lesson as well yeah. from what people were talking about. That was a long time ago that they were making that movie. Like that was 2016. The movie was being developed. So like they they heard the responses and they were like absolutely let's change also that. hey if i mar- if i was married to rio morales that lady is like the coolest lady on the planet like i'll take her name no no problem so um i definitely want to highlight like for me um watching the trailer i think it was the first trailer for this movie and it's the one where we're getting ria's um like conversation speech. and speech over the music and over some of the visuals from across the spider-verse and i definitely got in that moment the vibes of like jefferson's dying in this movie I th- and like yes and and i've been afraid of that because to me i really like brian tyree henry's performance i really like jefferson davis it's one of my problems with the spider-man game before the miles morales game was made that jefferson died yes um and so i was really hoping that the spider-verse films wouldn't go there 
sitting in the theater today and then having it be this that moment not be related to that at all which really emotionally got me because like whew, that made me cry um but then uh knowing that the movie is about miles saying actively my dad doesn't have to die um that gives me a lot of hope and like yeah really wonderful like we can we can have the storytelling where he's got his dad and his mom and we don't have to do that to miles that doesn't have to be the way this goes and i'm really really excited that not only are they seeming to steer away from that but that's actively a story point of saying that shouldn't have to happen um for the for spider-man stories to work this shouldn't have to be a thing and Absolutely. so like i'm really really psyched that that's the direction we went i i really like all of the parent stuff how they're trying to connect to miles um we didn't touch on it a lot because we've been there's a lot in this movie yeah but um the the bit where miles is as spider-man trying to connect with jefferson in a way that he can't right now as miles because he's how's just the son doing <laughs> really great scene brian tyree henry um is killing it. I love that Rhea gets so much more uh, as his mom in this. I think she's excellent. I love, again, like, just like the first movie, like, there's so much the Spanish being spoken, and, like, yes. they don't feel the need to put subtitles on for, for us whiteys, and I just, like, that's fine. Like, I think that's awesome. Can't wait for the subtitles to say, speaking native language. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's so funny. I'm so excited, oh, man. Oh, I don't... to that point, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that they had Rhea give a, a strong definition of like you're an immigrant as struggling in this way. I, oh. Puerto Rico is part of America. Yeah, <laughs> and like yeah. I'm really glad that they hammered that. <laughs> you're you're all struggling. You know, I'm a cop. Like I'm like you know, I'm living in a decent house. Like you're all struggling. I mean, What's your I mean, we can afford an apartment in Brooklyn. I don't. I don't think. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm about to be captain next week. That was, that was really yeah. charming. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love, I love when he's getting the cakes and he gets there and the what does the cake say? I'm not uh, proud. I'm not, I'm not proud. proud. <laughs> or even when he's arguing with his parents and she's like, "Mom doesn't even have driver's license. She doesn't need to. We live in New York and we'll never leave." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what I love about this movie is like, it, this is a really funny movie. Like yes. I forget, like that first one's, really, but there's like, a lot of great comedy, like Lord Miller or comedic geniuses. But like, there's like, like, like you cry, like I cry too. Like there's so much good drama. Like in the middle of like their big barbecue, they have a fight, and Miles. Once Miles says whatever, dude, I was a teenager. They used to say whatever to his mom, and boy, how did she not like it? Yeah. So the second he said whatever, I'm like, Miles, my god. I said the same thing. I was whatever. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's not real. Yeah, I'm like, ooh, that got flashbacks from whenever my parents were yelling at my brother. I was like, ooh, two months. Good. I definitely had that moment. I definitely, definitely had that moment where, where at like the parent moment, like, not even the parent moment, like the bystander moment where you're like in the moment. It's just like whatever. And you're like, oh, oh boy. Just walk it back. Walk it back. Real quick. Walk it back. Just walk. Just back it up. Back it the up. Poor, the poor DJ is like trying to make the music louder oh, so no one else can hear. He's yeah. like. Man, I don't, I don't generally, because at, at this point in our lives, like movies come out on VOD so fast. But like, th there is so much visual splendor and like so much fun and lo lo love in this movie. Like, I really do want to see it on the big screen again, just because like, it, like my no matter how nice my TV, my 4K TV is, like it will never be like a big screen. Um, yeah. And like, I can never get this experience again unless it's just reshown in theaters in a year or whatever. So like, I, I don't want to wait for the next the next Spider Verse movie. Like, I'm. I read like twenty Spider Man comics this weekend. Like I'm, I'm Jones for Spider Man. Yeah, right I want to, I want to see it again. You know, it's, it's so solid. Um, yeah, it's the been... emotionality is really good. I think the one other thing that we haven't so much. The one other thing I want to spotlight is um, 
Miles has a very excellent uh, montage of like, let me catch you up to speed. Uh, and uh, I I got a mustache, made another apology. <laughs> His YouTube apologies. Yeah. Hey, we all make mistakes. Yeah. Oh, um, I read a 2099 comic and Lila, uh, the, the digital lady that was helping Miguel, that's yes. a thing from the comics from the 90s too. So like, that's, that's cool. You know, they, they, did the, they obviously did their research and all this stuff. One other thing I pointed out to Ryan when we were talking about it off air is that I, I was really hoping going into this movie that when they did, the, because I expected there to be a little bit of like a, a, the, the reference to the story that's happened before for the characters so when they throw the comics back down it wasn't a new pile it was on top of the pile from into the spider and i really really like that yeah yeah me too love it love it okay should we rate it yes absolutely i i I have a feeling it's gonna be it this is gonna be another one of those andors baby got a feeling ben 10 out of 10 absolutely perfect as of this moment in time the best spider-man film ever made of course beyond hasn't come out yet that might change but if beyond is just as good as uh across and into the Spider-Verse films could be the best Spider-Man trilogy ever. Hands down, no discussion, no debate. It is by far the most emotional, most beautifully made um, animation. It, this, if These films, while other animated films are making great impacts, I feel like this one is going to continue and make an even greater impact in the animation world and get more people to be like animation is not just for kids yes this is a comic movie yes this is made for families when i was in my theater i had a lot of kids around me but the stories that are told in these films the stories that are um the way that it's being portrayed so that everyone can enjoy you don't have to be a spider-man fan to love to love these movies 10 out of 10 hands down the best spider-man film made up to this point in time ryan uh, yeah, it's absolutely a ten out of ten. I, if I could, I would give it eleven out of ten. Like truly, it's 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 like again, it's like so much effort was made. It was put in this movie, and there's not a single frame of like we shouldn't work this hard today. Like every single day, like these guys put their whole ass into it, and it's like it's a it's, whole ass, their whole ass. Not it's not a cheek was left out. Um, this is already like I wasn't worried about it making a lot of money, but you know, like a big movie like this, I wanted to succeed, and it is the the biggest like opening weekend of the year so far. Uh, I think next to Mario, and I'm just I'm like really... that's incredible. I'm really happy to see that because I had expected that Into the Spider-Verse's popularity only grew after it left theaters because the theater box office wasn't great for Into the yeah. Spider-Verse. It was respectable, but it wasn't great. And what we're seeing with Across the Spider-Verse is that very thing happened. People were watching Into the Spider-Verse and now have come to Across the Spider-Verse and it's making even more money. I love it. Yeah. And we're only, we're a year or less away from the next one. So like, they're just they're just spit polishing that thing, baby, and like we're gonna. I'm I have no no doubt it's gonna March, be March, I think, right now. That's June. Yeah, nice that's crazy. June. June. I just looked like, it up. Okay. Well, exactly one year from now. It's still, uh, yeah, ten out of ten. Like, I'm gonna. I'm. I actually might try to see this again. Yeah. It is actually exactly a year from today. Hell yeah. Um, Sparks. Ten out of ten. Uh, easily. Certainly, hands down. One hundred percent. Um. We talked about it as long as we could, and I'm sure there's more I could have dug out, but like, I think we covered a, a really good round of it. It's it's impressive because of how strong its thematic and emotional story is at its heart. What it's saying is really great. What it's saying about Spider-Man as a, as a moniker, as a character, as an ideal hero is so strong. I really like it. I really like what it sets up. It's visually stunning. Uh, beyond what the first one did, it is opening new doors in animation once again. It's just blowing us away. The fact that it can do everything it did and just somehow 
take what Into the Spider-Verse gave it and just keep keep on pushing, keep on elevating. Like, it's so impressive. Uh, how could it not be? How could it not be? Real 10 quick, out of 10. Real quick before you go, Brandon. And it's like, again, after reading <clears throat> uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 26 this week and just seeing just like the disarray that that, that character is in right now, I'm just like... Man, like this movie, it's it's just like it is like a direct message of like, why do we have to do it this way? Why do we have to just kill people to 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 sell comics to make Peter like it's 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 truly incredible that this these came out the same week that a, a, a Amazing Spider-Man 26 this came out because it's like it's like a direct like obviously this movie was made years ago but it's just so funny how the world works that way. I just like it's this is a really important movie not just for animation but for like spider-man in this current pop culture world and i hope this movie has ramifications for the comics because like boy howdy if there's any synergy we need it's freaking miles in, in spider-man in the comics and for representation yeah no doubt so i agree with a lot of what you guys are saying i really love this movie i think it's gorgeous i really love the stuff they do with gwen stacy but that pacing issue that i mentioned up top is a factor for me uh, more so than I than I wish, which is why I wanted to see it a second time, see if that smoothed over. But right now, because I don't like it as much as the first one, which is a ten out of ten for me, this one is a nine point five. Sure, that's cool. Perfect. That's totally cool. I love it. Okay, shall we go into a book club then? All right. Sparks, it is your turn on the book club. Take it away. Okay, hey friends, we're reading uh, Ben Riley Spider-Man, five issues that came out last year uh, from J.M. De, De Mateus yeah. uh, as writer and David Baldion as artist, um, Israel Silva as colorist, and VCs Joe Carmenaga as letterer. Um, yeah, this was fun. Um, it's a story set during the time when Peter and Mary Jane are away in Portland. Um, and Ben has stepped into the role of Spider-Man living in New York. Uh, so it's back back in the 90s, friends. Like uh, It's another Late one, 90s. just like when we did Superior Spider-Man. Like We're going back in time and telling a story in that time period. Um, but it's all about how Ben is adjusting with the knowledge in his mind that he is the original Peter Parker, because that's what he believed at the time. Um and I think that's really solid stuff. I think that's really fun to explore with Ben, mm -hmm. um, trying to uh, figure out what he wants uh, in this idea of I'm not going to be Peter anymore, but so I'm going to linger around New York. And I'd like the only time he feels himself is is being Spider-Man. And I think the way that they bring it around with um, the other another clone creation created by the Jackal Spider side yeah, for the story and what it means to them, I think is really really good. I think this was a cool idea. I like the execution. I love the art. I love the art. I love the art. This is David. I, yeah. I love the art. Uh, we all read X Factor by Leah Williams with the, the Donna Krakoa. Uh, uh, David Baldion. Incredible, incredible talent. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I want to hear what you thought, friends. I'll go next. I love it. I think it's great. Um, again, I also read a bunch of Spider-Man, so I was just primed for it. But um, again, like when we when we read that um, Symbiote Spider-Man book, like I was, I'm, I'm primed now for old school books. And I love James DeMatteis. He did Craven's Last Hunt, which was what my last Spider-Man book club. And that book's perfect. Um, this is just a great continuation. I I really, I really like James DeMatteis as a writer. Um, that dude's like a novelist. So like that dude, that dude is, is like a writer's writer. Like that dude, that dude has prose for days. I love I love uh, uh, Ben's internal internal dialogue. I love I love it. Like he's got a full grasp of this character because he's written them so much. I was gonna say now the scale is obviously different, but would you say that uh, that he is to Ben Riley what Chris Claremont is to the X Men? 
that is a different scale of character but not a lot of people he, have I mean, done he that is, yeah like he like he is like the the, the prominent 90s guy right. like he is unfortunately like one of the mess finds behind the clone saga not everyone's perfect for sure but yeah absolutely like him revisiting this character is absolutely like uh peter david revisiting symbiote spider-man because he wrote that era so like right. it's totally in line uh all the characterization's great y'all spider side is not a character I thought I would ever see again, but because I don't, you know, I'm not gonna read old school comics anymore. Um, but I thought this was great, like Lady Octopus showing up, all these old school villains, like this being like a late '90s book that came out in 2022. Uh, I had a really good time. Ben, you want to go next? Yeah, sure, I'll go next. Um, I absolutely highly enjoyed it. Um, what was what was I gonna say? Yeah, I highly enjoyed it. But also, what I loved about this book is how it's not just like all punchy punchy in the face, but it's also like let's talk about things let's dive into like mental health let's like let's look talk to ben riley ben how are you feeling and then even when like when ben kind of gives that really bad or that really snide remark to edward aka the vermin about the monster always coming back and then the next issue he's like hey that wasn't cool of me i'm sorry and then they build a friendship because Ben Riley issue one of this of this five issue miniseries, he was all I don't like friends. Friends, we know friends, but then he grows to have friends. He became, opens up to Ashley more and more and more, and then he starts actually having real therapy sessions with her and sees her as a friend. And I mean, even talks to John, even though John started becoming very uh, possessive. Stop. Yeah, and then it's revealed that oh, he was the villain this whole time, like he was the first date killer or the first date murderer, but. I mean, the action in this, in this uh, I almost said movie, the action in this book is great. And I have to agree with Sparks as well. The art is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, I yeah. will I will not lie. When I saw the cover art, the covers from issues two to five, I was kind of, uh, but thankfully the interior art was absolutely chef's kiss beautiful. This is what's so funny because those covers are by Steve Skrokey, who is like a really talented guy who does like, he does like Godzilla shit and like, in, in like independent shit. It's, his covers are really weird for superhero stuff. It's not his, yeah. his traditional bag, so it was weird that he was on a Spider-Man cover thing. Yeah, I felt I'm, like he was trying to throw back to the time period. Sure. Like he was trying to evoke what the Maybe. art looked like yeah. for the 90s. It's definitely, his style is just really yeah. unique for superhero books. You don't see it often. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan. I mean, if I wasn't a big fan of anything, it'd just be the covers. But once yeah. again, I'm not. I'm only looking at the covers for a hot second. The interior art is absolutely amazing. And just the subject matter, and even when... Um, Ben is fighting the cure, the um, carrion, or the, yes. is it, yeah, when he's fighting, yeah, yeah. and instead of just punching his lights out and calling it a day, he's talking to him. He's like, "Why are you doing this?" And then he, and then it's revealed that I lost my mom, and I need the pain to go away, and this is the only outlet I know how. And I'm just like, this isn't a Spider-Man book where Spider-Man's a character who deals with grief all the time. I mean, if you look back in the history of comics, Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, Aunt May, so many characters die. And so many loved ones die in Spider-Man's life, and here's a character, and here's a uh, a Spider-Man, Ben Riley, who was also going through his own emotional trauma. But instead of of him thinking the answer is punch him in the face, that solves all my problems. Like, instead of giving a fist, he gives an open hand, right. and I, that is a very imp- impactful part of this book and why this book is so well done. Yes, you get the great superhero fight scenes, which I still think are really fun, but the meat of the bones, the parts where I was really interested in was Ben unraveling his own trauma, his own insecurities. And I'm just, and as someone who's also currently going to therapy and seeking help for my own mental problems, I really resonated with that and how, and I just love how the problem isn't solved with a punch to the face, but it's resolved by talking. He, I want to say it's in the last issue where he talks for the second to last issue 
where he's talking to spider side and straight up says let's talk this out yeah mm-hmm. to talk we can't we don't fight let's just talk do side yeah and i also feel that that's not uh an avenue that a lot of comic books take because yes we we, we we pick up superhero comic books we expect a certain we expect action we expect high octane punching and fighting and all this cool stuff amazing powers on display but the fact that ben doesn't want to do that he wants to talk first and then is resorted to punching because the other guy threw the first punch i think is very impactful and powerful yeah i i had a I had a pretty good time with this one i'm not we're not as crazy about it as, as as you guys. I did like it. I did enjoy it. I I, I really like the artwork um, and a lot of the character work. But that's kind of where I don't really have a lot to say other than that. Um, I do agree. I think it's really interesting that we um, that we do dive into this kind of a mental health space with Ben Riley and his and him learning how to accept friends um that's all really really interesting ground for this comic that you didn't that i didn't really expect to see um yeah that's really all i i've got though i uh i didn't expect so much body horror scary stuff in this book i love it i love spider side uh once he's revealed to be the villain i like gave it like a hearty chuckle because it's like one of like the most ridiculous characters from the 90s during the clone saga shit and the fact that like like james david hayes is repurposing this like silly silly character and like giving him like pathos and meaning and like every dude the stuff like ben you brought it up but like the stuff that's like i uh it needs to be destroyed i can't i can't stop thinking of it as an it that's my brother he might look like a monster but also i am not the original person uh, uh you know i'm not original either i'm just like he is like no, he is, thinks he is he, he thinks, thinks he's uh, at this point right yeah yeah <laughs> which another redcon which is stupid later uh but yeah like all this clothing stuff like james david Thomas makes it makes it work out and it brings a lot of like like humanity to it which again that's my favorite shit like what does it mean to be human like are you a clone mm-hmm. are you a robot does that make you alive that kind of shit but he's like but, it, it, but i lo- sorry brandon go ahead well i was gonna say that what's what i found kind of interesting about the you know he thinks he's not the he thinks he's the real peter parker um at this point and he's but he also can feel spider side which should be the cue that he's not the real peter parker um and so like there's there's clearly the story is telling Ben Riley, Hey, you're not actually the real Peter Parker. Even Ben Riley kind of instinctively knows in the way that he's talking about it. Like we're, you know, we're brothers, things like that, but it's not really clicking for him yet that because it's not a realm of possibility. Now he's gotten his life back. He's like, no, I am the real Peter Parker. He won't accept that. The That's what the signs are telling him kind of on a, kind of on a subtextual level. It is. It is so interesting. Like being a clone of somebody and having all of their memories, that is that is a really interesting thing to to live with and grapple. Again, he is he is technically the, the the real person, but like he had a time in his life where that what that wasn't him. And like that is just so fascinating. And then having your brother come and try to kill you, and he's a big uh big shapeshifter is really really funny. Real quick, Vermin showing up again. Like I'm so glad now that we read Craven's Left Hunt because now Ben, you know who that character is. Like you guys know, so like it's a through line of James DeMatteis just like working with characters that he created, and, and I think it's great. And the references to Craven's suicide here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um what I like about what you were saying with like the, the, the memories and everything, I really like the page where Ben is just standing across from the Parker home and he's just thinking about memories that he's like, they belong to me, but I guess now they can't belong to me. And like, there's good memories and bad memories, but I'm leaving that behind because I'm choosing to be this other person. I want to be Ben Riley. Um, In a way this, this book like kind of like is like a, uh, a, I don't know what the right word is like a companion piece to across the spider verse. It's like, you know, you don't have to do it like the Peter Parker way. Like you are not Peter Parker. You can do it your own way. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, really, I, I was really surprised to get into this book and have it be a period where Aunt May was dead. Um, yes. Yep. Which is which is fun. I was like, oh right, that was a thing for a very long time. Yeah, everyone dies and comes back. 
in, 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 in comic books these days, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just, man, I took so many pictures of, like, spooky shit. Like, again, like, uh, 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 Spider-Side and, like, Carrion, like, all, like, the crazy doc, uh, Doctor Strange. I think that's Doctor Strange. Uh, or what? Craven, sorry, it's Craven. Uh, spooky as hell, I love it. Because Carrion. I did, oh, the big yeah. version. Because I did not know who Spider-Side was prior to reading this book. I was like, that can't be Clayface. Who do, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, um, but I want to say, uh, uh, one last, I, I did have one last thing. I, re- I, I had never seen this Lady Octopus character before, yeah. and uh, I'm kind of in love with her. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, back like, you know, 80s and 90s, like, hey, what if we made a character, but we just called her Lady? <laughs> Lady this. Uh, thank God Jane Foster wasn't called Lady Thor, right? Uh, yeah, just fun. I, uh, all of these, like, uh, uh, old school villains showing up again, like, it's always fun because I'm not, a lot of them don't show up in modern times as much. So, like, seeing them, Lady Octopus is like relocated to the past. So, but, like, you can, you can bring it back. I really like um, Mysterio jumping in and and uh oh he was locked working, in prison working on the same side and and like That's getting right. rid of mr hyde um and oh he's yeah like, mr hyde's cool i'm an artist and this is a bunch of psychos yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, will not, I will not be lumped into these charlatans absolutely yeah. uh i thought that was really good um i really like yeah you said it earlier but like the pathos of spider side like where he's coming to the conclusion later of like uh you know i am just like you and and we are part of each other and connecting with him and changing his face to to match Ben's and everything and then that that being him like giving him life saving him uh and and thus ending his own and you have that like weird like ambiguous but but sad last moment of like what he like he he comes up and like goes to strangle Ben and there's like this look of sadness after that and then he's gone and like you could look at that a lot of ways you could look at that as him realizing that to his knowledge like knowing in that moment that he's not peter parker yeah he's also a clone or something like that but there's all kind of ways you can interpret it but yeah i I just think it's really cool to to do this kind of storytelling i i enjoy going back and putting fresh fresh more modern thoughtful ideas about mental health about like what it is to be spider-man what it is to be some of these characters at that time uh going back to this time period where these things were not as thoughtful and like inserting these stories that bring more of that analysis to it absolutely yeah and, and like i like the james david Hayes, he's like a really like thoughtful writer uh like again like craven's last month that's a book that came out in the 80s and that book is like like half of it's like silent and just like really like uh like introspective so like uh, uh i'm glad you picked this uh, uh james david Hayes also did that juggernaut miniseries which is way better than any juggernaut book has a right to be uh like he's just one of those guys that like he was prominent in like the like the eighties and nineties, but like he still got it. Like he didn't he didn't lose his touch. I think. All right. You got the touch. Uh, I really like Ben Riley. This is the good times with Ben Riley before they like really mess around with the character. Um, and I love the suit. Ben yeah. Riley's cool. He's a very cool suit's, guy. Suit's really nice. All right. Well, Ben, it's your book club next week. Do you know what it is? Yeah. So you guys remember how in the pre-show I said I didn't have any idea? Well, I lied. I do have an idea. Uh, we're talking Transformers Rise of the Beast, so I'm going with one of IDW's Beast Wars books. I'm picking Transformers Beast Wars The Gathering, written by Simon Furman and drawn by Don Figueroa. For issue miniseries, I think it'll be a fun little jaunt in Beast World in a Beast Wars world. Um, I've never read it before. I just remember seeing the, the cover once. And I figured, you know what? Let's just give it a shot. Hopefully it's decent, because last time it's... I did this, it was not a good book. <laughs> Four issue miniseries. How old is this one? Do you know? Ooh, let me double check. When did this come if out? If you can't easily get the information, it's okay. I yeah, haven't. February 2006. Oh, cool. I haven't read or watched anything Beast Wars related since I was a youth. So this will be fun. Yep. Um, well, Ryan, next week we're going to be talking about the entire show. So get caught up. <laughs> God, 
I would never suspect anyone to that right now. Um, I don't actually think I don't think you can watch the show right now. I remember it was on Netflix for a while. We live on the internet. I can find anything anytime, all at once. (laughs) Not you, just in general. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's it. That's yeah. As as Ben said, next week we're going to be talking about Transformers: Rise of the Beast. Sparks, you will not be here, however. I won't be. Goodbye. Happy trails. Thanks. He's rolling out. Um, Maybe okay. I'll be back after that. Who knows? Maybe I'll be okay. back in a flash. Uh, yeah, the week after is the flash. Um, <laughs> but get ready for our seventh anniversary special. Uh, that you know our anniversary is coming up. is It is June twelfth. Uh, the day that we started this podcast, um, June twelfth, two thousand sixteen, um, wow. and uh, and the the anniversary special will be coming up on that day this year. So stay tuned. Whoop whoop. Woo. Love it, love it. Um, cool. Okay, so guys, subscribe. Uh, you know, check out all the shows on this podcast. Uh, on this podcast network, subscribe to us, like us. Um, you can tech. You can check out. Our my audio show conversation um which uh recently released a new episode which is linked below with cookie from just a little podcast had a great time talking to him check it out um I'll, I'll i'll say more about what my next guest is next week so stay tuned on this channel you can check out all sorts of shows such as fake nerds watch our tv after show basement arcade our video game let's play series our base basement arcade pause menu video game discussion series mini basement arcade pod miss pause menu in the description now Check that out. Um, Fickner Book Club, uh, comic books, animation, animation. New episodes of that coming soon, relatively. We'll see. Uh, and The Real Score, uh, our newest show. Give it some love. Oh, Fickner's Watch, by the way. Uh, this week I'm dumping Star Trek Strange New World Season 1 Fickner's Watch episodes on the audio feed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, cool. Check out our Patreon. Check out our Public if you'd like to support us financially. We greatly appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, Grayson Live says in the comments, just like this, just like Ryan said, binging Beast Wars, it can be found. Yes. Yep. And then, of course, he follows that up with, "Thanks so much for the show. Always enjoy hanging out and hearing your take on things while getting updated on topics." You're welcome, Thank you, Grayson. my friend. Here's an update for you: our website still not found. Don't know where it is. It's gone forever. Maybe. Bummer. Wow. We'll see what happens with that later. Um, if anything, you know, who knows. All right. Thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to everyone who watches the live show. Thank you to everyone who watches the replay. We greatly appreciate all of your support. I know I always ask you guys to support us financially, but the support that you give us just by watching this is is, is enough. But make sure you like it. Like and subscribe. It, yeah, and subscribe too. Yeah, you just know, definitely like. It. So De- definitely like it. So I we mean, can do it. We just cracked three hundred subscribers on YouTube. I think. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did that a while ago. <laughs> it's uh, been a while. We plateaued a little bit. Sure hey, 300, 300 subscribers though. Not bad. Not bad. I'm still happy about it. All thanks to Black Adam. <laughs> it's gonna call everything mid. We just gotta be more negative. We just gotta, yeah, we gotta do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the way. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> All is right. Fun. Thank you to Jeremy Bellucci. Uh Mag, take care, gang. Catch you next time. Stay sir. Uh, um thank you to Jeremy Bellucci, a new host on the Faker Podcast, Family Podcast for the real score. You can check out his his other podcast, Suburban Proctologist, at Facebook, Suburban Proctologist Official. Instagram at Subproc Podcast, or you can find him on Instagram at Jeremy Bellucci underscore Wreck of Time. So check him out, please. Thank you to Mike Matola, wonderful collaborator and wonderful friend of ours, did a couple of our logos. You can find him at Mike Matola on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, thank you again. Subscribe to us. No, 
sorry, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Fickner Podcast, FickNerGuys at gmail.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us personally, I'm at BC McClure on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me writing for CBR.com, KaijuRamaMedia.com, and AtomicGeekdom.com. Uh, ben? Uh, you can find me still exploring the beautiful land that is Hyrule at BenMagnet27 on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also find me writing for Fusion Gaming Magazine, GoNintendo.com, Old School Gamer Magazine, which actually, funny enough, the latest issue of Old School Gamer Magazine just came out. Issue- You're going to tell me this. I totally forgot, honestly. It was just right now I mentioned it. Uh, I have an article in here about a game developer slash publisher called Absolute Entertainment because they are guys who essentially did the Activision thing, whereas they used to work for a company, and then they left to make their own. Funny enough, the company they used to work for before was Activision. So there you go. I wrote a little article about them in there, and also you can catch me playing Mary Frankenstein on Dean Dark with new episodes coming out on Wednesdays. Link is down below. Sparks? I almost called you rocks. I'm sorry. Rocks Sparks. On. Well, put your thunderwear on, ladies, because we're getting... <laughs> um, uh, you can find me uh, eagerly counting down the days until beyond the Spider-Verse at SparksWitty on Instagram, Twitter, S-P-A-R-K-Z-Witty. I'm going to put a little I'm gonna put a little counter on my, on my Twitter and Instagram. That's how excited I am. I won't, but I might. Ryan. Uh, you can find me... Uh, waiting 525,600. That's a year, right? Is that a yes, year? Yes, yeah. 525,600 minutes also for Spider-Verse. because That's I'm, how you measure a year. That's that's what, that's what the only thing I learned from Rent. Daylights, <laughs> sunsets, midnights, uh, cups of coffee. Um, I just like Spider-Man. He's really cool. And all the different Spider-People at DJ Tony Snark 616. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Podcast, and Pandora. Rate and review wherever you get us. We greatly appreciate it. Like this video. Subscribe to this channel. Until next time you see us, guys. Stay fake, nerds.